Happy Thanksgiving Day, Dave and the Dopey Nation. I've written a Thanksgiving Day Dopey Haiku, a Dopey coup, if you will. A praying mantis floating in blue parade. Another day alive and well. Thank you. Put the subs into my eye. Is today a good time to die? No. Dave and Chris and Dupree Nation want to cancel. episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery, located in sunny Southern California and started by our old friend Bob Forrest and his friends Evan, Jared, and Bob. Oro is an amazing place to get well. They want to take care of drug addicts and alcoholics by helping them out with compassion and connection rather than control. Their staff has decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI. They have amenities you wouldn't comprehend, fucking surfing, equine therapy, sound bath meditation, the potentially spiritual transformative sweat lodge. But most importantly, everyone that we know that has been to Oro has only said great things. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get unfucked, check out ororecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at The Phoenix. The Phoenix is an incredible nonprofit organization. It's an app. It is a nexus of sober fun. 
If you are looking to have fun in your recovery and you have two days clean and sober, you are eligible to participate in the incredible activities at thephoenix.org. Check them out at thephoenix.org slash dopeypodcast. They have a pickleball league. They have numerous CrossFit classes. They have hikes set up in all sorts of different regions of the country. The Phoenix was a DopeyCon IV sponsor. The Phoenix sponsored our sober kickoff to Jazz Fest. The Phoenix was at the Folk Festival at Newport. We love having fun. The Phoenix loves having fun. We suggest having fun with the Phoenix. Check them out at thephoenix.org slash dopey. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. Sober Buddy is an app. It is a virtual tool for your toolbox that comes with a sober tracker, challenges to help you with your sobriety, and 11 Zoom meetings a week. I host the Wednesday morning 9 a.m. Zoom, which I'm pretty sure is the best Zoom meeting they have. So start out with Sober Buddy. You can get it at the App Store or the Google Play Store or go to YourSoberBuddy.com. Join the Sober Buddy community. You'll be happy you did it. You will not regret it. There's a free 30-day trial or else go to the App Store or the Google Play Store or YourSoberBuddy.com. It's cheaper than like two Frappuccinos a month. One of the great sponsors that made DopeyCon IV so magical was Imagine Recovery. They're located in New Orleans, Louisiana. Imagine Recovery is a beautiful spot in New Orleans. I was there. I met the staff. I went to some meetings. Their mission has always been about treating substance misuse and mental health with dignity, love, and excellent clinical services. Imagine has always used the term substance misuse because they recognize that substance use is on a spectrum. They believe in preventative care and treat people in all phases, helping them to interrupt the path that may be leading them to alcoholism or addiction. Call them and talk about how you can get on a new path to freedom from substances and wellness for your mental health. If you're anywhere near New Orleans, Louisiana, check out ImagineRecovery.com. Dopey super guest Jason Ricci got well there, so why couldn't you? If you're fucked and anywhere near New Orleans, check out ImagineRecovery.com. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave and I'm wishing you guys a happy Thanksgiving week. It's weird, like the show comes out on Friday and Thanksgiving is the next Thursday. Is the Thanksgiving episode supposed to be the day after Thanksgiving? No, it has to be Has to be this week. And I'm very grateful to put out another episode. I am not grateful to share the news that we lost a great friend of the show, Bill Blaber. He had been a, a guest host on our show. He was also one of the storytellers at our original DopeyCon at Mountainside, and he told some really, really classic Dopey stories. And I'm going to play at least one hardcore Bill Blaber Dopey story. But what I want to share about Bill is that he was just a really sweet guy, a really kind guy, very smart, very generous, and anybody that knew him, that I ever met, loved Bill. 
and only had really, really nice things to say. He ran the coaching department at Mountainside, and I know he was incredibly helpful to a lot of addicts and alcoholics who were trying to get sober, stay sober, stay connected. He had me on the Mountainside podcast, and he interviewed me for that a million years ago, and he was so excited to do the interview and it was one of the best interviews, I think. I hadn't had many interviews done. Like, nobody really wanted to interview me, and Bill was so excited to do it, and he approached it with so much love and life, and he was he was just great. I saw him just before we did DopeyCon IV, and he was going to London, and he couldn't come, and um, it was sad. You know, I, we, we gave each other, like, three hugs, and I kept thinking I was leaving and giving him a hug, and then we'd start talking again, so I kept talking and I gave him like three hugs and he we said how we wished he could have been at DopeyCon IV and he was sad about it and he was traveling I think to London to see Madonna which is one of his favorite things and he didn't relapse as far as I know he had a, a liver complication and he wound up dying and you know our prayers and our thoughts and our vibes and our love go to his family and friends and I know just the mountainside team loved him so much. And and Jessica, who was the MC at the first DopeyCon, loved Bill so much. And and everyone I've known that has interacted with him loved him. So let's just uh, send love and vibes and prayers to Bill and his family. And we miss you, Bill. So this is a Thanksgiving episode, and I love hearing from members in our community. Our community is a tight-knit, dopey fucking community. I just got a a message on Instagram from this woman. She's a nurse in London or England or somewhere in the UK, and she got this amazing dopey tattoo. So I will post it. Her name is Rachel. Crazy big shout-out to Rachel. I tried to get her to do a, a Thanksgiving message, but English people don't seem to understand what Thanksgiving is. But Ben Croxton does. What's up, Dave? What's up, Dopey Nation? This is Ben Croxton from Birmingham, Alabama. I just wanted to say... Thank you for everything that y'all have done for me, and I hope y'all have a great Thanksgiving. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dopey Nation. I wanted to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. We have so much to be grateful for this holiday season coming up. Being sober is the greatest thing I've ever done in my life, and I have more and more to be grateful for every day. I love the Dopey Nation, I love the Dopey Zoom, and I love you, Dave. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Hey, Dave, this is Ed. Uh, you asked for a gratitude list and said keep it short, so here goes. Uh, I'm grateful that I don't live in the time of the woolly mammoth. I'm grateful that I don't live in the future when the Timu Corporation controls everything and we're fed by tubes and kept alive by AI. I'm grateful for my family, my friends, my health, and my sobriety, uh, and for Dopey, because Dopey's a big part of that sobriety, and I'm grateful uh, for you uh, for soldiering on week in, week out. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. All right, that's Ed, Ben, and Nicole, three hard-working dopes in the Dopey community. There's been a lot of um, a lot of bad news, a lot of a lot of death, and I got a couple notes that I just have to read. This one is from Matt, and he wrote, I meant to do this a while back, but Trevor was my best friend. He passed away about a year ago due to his addiction. We talked a lot, and he always mentioned how he loved listening to you guys. Is it possible 
to give a shout out on your station to him. This is the dopey station. I want to give a shout out to Trevor. Uh, I know he would get a kick out of it. He was still, if he was still here, and if there is an afterlife, I know he would be smiling. Thanks, Matt. And then I got this note. This is the note from Trevor. I want to read it. He says, "Dave, it is extremely surreal to read the original discourse between Chris and I. I miss him an incredible amount for an individual I have never met in flesh. Podcasts are an interesting are interesting in the sense that they are a one way relationship for the most part." I would argue that I am extremely familiar and fond of you, including the, de- the character defects we are all afflicted with as addicts. I have recently been going back and listening to all the episodes that Chris was on, and it breaks my heart that his life got cut short by this demonic addiction. He was incredibly smart and had a way with people that undoubtedly would have made a marvelous therapist. It is evident from all of the recollections yourself and his closest friends shared in the episode following his wake. Even in his response to my previous message, his capacity for empathy was spilling at the seams and it makes me sick knowing he never got to reach his full potential in his professional career. The volume of people he touched and helped just through the podcast only hints at how much of an impact he could have made on countless addicts' lives. I'm so, so happy you have continued with the podcast. It really displays a high degree of accountability for yourself by releasing an episode every week on top of the never-ending duties of being a noble family man. You're telling me. I am really proud of you, man, and I know Chris is smiling down upon you from the great beyond. I wish I could say the same about myself, but unfortunately a waxing and waning addiction has limited my life in so many ways for the majority of my adult life. I am 29 years old and using has just lost all its fun. The drugs have stopped working, yet I still find myself acting against my will, driving to the city to pick up. I wanted to inquire about a a possible rehab scholarship. I don't have health insurance, and it seems impossible I could ever afford treatment as an average working Joe. What I would do to go back to the days of being on my folks' insurance and return to rehab with the experience I have now. I would soak up every last drop of tools and therapy I know I know exist in residential treatment. There is nothing more I would appreciate than a month away from all the distracting adult responsibility to focus on the monkey that I can't seem to shake. Please let me know if you can assist with anything, and if not, you and Chris will always still be my heroes. I want to live and not squander away my one life on the tragic pursuit of chemical concoctions. Toodles with love and sincerity, Trevor. I don't even know if um, if I ever got back to him. I think, I, I mean, I, I'm i very disorganized. I hope I did. And um, it's very sad. It's very sad. If anyone out there is struggling and you're looking for treatment, we can help, but we can only help uh, by you being willing to go to the place that we suggest. We can't send you to the place you want to go, but there are options. Uh, if you need help, if you're struggling, please send in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com and I will write you back with a questionnaire that Justin uh, Cambria has put together and, and we can probably get you somewhere. You just need to be willing to do what we ask. Uh, this is a very sad episode now. Margaret Cho is on. She's she's a delight. <laughs> Um, she's not sad, but I got another sad email that I need to read. Uh, she says, Hey Dave, not sure if it's too late, 
but I would love it if you could give a shout out to my love, Matt Moss, on your podcast this Friday. He passed away November 17th, 2020 from an accidental fentanyl, accidental fentanyl overdose. He bought a pill in San Francisco in the Tenderloin, snorted it, and never woke up. It was the worst day of my life, and I thank God I was asleep or I might be dead also. I have been sober about two and a half years now, and I know he would have loved to have been a part of Dopey Nation and other sober groups I have become involved in. I think of him every day, and thank God I am alive and sober. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris, and so much love to my angel, Matthew Moss. Thanks, Jazzy. Thanks, Jazzy. I'm glad you got your shit together. You know, the key is to just keep going. Stay consistent. Don't give up. And if you're using, be careful. And if you're using fentanyl, consider stop using fentanyl. And please talk to somebody. Reach out to us. Maybe we can help you. Reach out to anyone you know that is sober. It is Thanksgiving. It is a hard time, uh, but also an amazing time if you get your shit together. And it can be a hard time if you get your shit together, too. There's no guarantees that life will always be good. In fact, I can only say that life will not always be good, but it's so much easier to not be using. This seems like the perfect time to tell you that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by BetterHelp.com. I've recently gotten into therapy for real, and it's really, really helped me. It's changed the way I'm looking at my life. It is helping me navigate my life. BetterHelp does the same thing. Whether you're dealing with decisions around careers, relationships, or anything else, therapy can help you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try, especially during the holidays. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast today, and you get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DopeyPodcast. I got a few more uh, notes I want to read. <laughs> this is my favorite. This is a post on um, on Dopey Nation. I don't remember who it was, but they said, the most recent episode, I had to fast forward through that dude talking about his stupid book. Hey, Dave, how much did he pay you for a spot on the show? Then he wrote two winky emojis. That shit was so awkward and out of place. Super lame. That was my review. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. I thought that dude was great. Max Marshall and his book, Among the Bros, now available at Amazon.com. Now, he didn't pay me anything. I don't, I don't appreciate that at all. I swear to God. I thought that was a different true crime fucking Xanax ring episode. I don't, I, you know, how dare you accuse me of having paid content on the show? But I also want to say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by Among the Bros. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. I thought that dude was great. And I thought that story was amazing. Here's another note. Was feeling a little down and sad tonight, so I made some hot chocolate Dave style. Three packs of Swiss Miss, and truthfully, it did everything I needed it to do. Thanks for all you do. Much love. See, that's a much nicer, nicer message. It's funny, that note reminds me of another DopeyCon IV sponsor, Mountainside, where Bill Blaber worked. I used to make hot chocolate Dave style. 
at me being Dave at Mountainside, three packs of hot chocolate and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at night while watching like uh, alligator hunters with the, with, the, with the crew at Mountainside or while we played uh, Mexican train dominoes. But, but seriously, Mountainside is an amazing rehab. It is the place that Dopey was born. It was where I met Chris. If there was no Mountainside, there would be no Dopey. Mountainside also offers a full continuum of care, which includes detox, residential, long-term residential, outpatient, and recovering coaching programs. So whatever program a person needs, they have it. They also have an incredible family program and a really, really amazing community. They also have a crazy cool spiritual program. They have yoga, acupuncture, sound bath, sweat lodge, art and music therapy. Most importantly, they offer a place where connections are formed and celebrated, which is how Chris and I really laid down the blueprint at Mountainside. Without Mountainside, there would be no dopey. Check them out at mountainside.com. And if you're fucked and you're willing to go to rural Connecticut, please check out mountainside.com. Okay, I got another another community-based note. I got this note from Gigi. And Gigi said, Hi, loved Stella Blue. Jeff Leach was entertaining but came off like a professional guest. And telling people how to smoke herb and take mushrooms properly is so sober DJ dressed in a tunic. While imagining LSD, I was hoping Alan would fantasize, possibly be transported... Gigi was the one who wanted to do go ask Alan, like, imagine you're on LSD. Uh, while imagining LSD, I was hoping Alan would fantasize possibly <laughs> uh, be transported into an empty school basketball gym space where he would endlessly wander shul haunted by shady fantasy basketball trades, then roughed up in the paint by giant trash-talking cartons of expired milk off and condiments and slimy 99-cent lunch meat defenders to the constant jeering of an insane crowd of Seymour's and Alex's tripping balls on expired milk and chicken stock. Thank you, Gigi. I think you've redeemed your uh, your former hate. And it looks like uh, my dad didn't take advantage of my nephew as James Harden is not doing well. A lot of people wrote me about that, too. I am very grateful for my dad. I am currently in second place in the league, in case anyone was wondering. I think my dad is in fifth place, and my nephew is in sixth place. My dad is getting his hip replacement surgery on Monday, I think. So let's everybody pray. That's a chair. My dad doesn't love praying, but pray for my dad. Send good vibes and love that he will recover swiftly. Here's some more Thanksgiving from the dopes. What's up, Dopey Nation? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Dave. This is Janine, the host of the Chasing Heroin podcast. I'm super grateful for this community. The community of Dopey Nation is so amazing. Like the Facebook page and Reddit and all of the groups and all of the people like talking and supporting each other. It goes so far beyond the show, which is so cool and special. And one of the things that makes it unique 
I'm so glad, Dave, that you and Chris met and that you guys had the idea to do a funny recovery show and that you kept it funny and that you've continued to keep it funny. I think that's what makes it special and relatable. I'm also grateful this year. I have a new thing to be grateful for that I completely forgot about until today when I told Dave this story. In 1997, Panama City Beach, spring break, 17-year-old me was this close to getting the Aerosmith wings tattooed as a tramp stamp on my body. I was literally sitting backwards on like a patio plastic chair, pants unbuttoned. And at the last minute, the guy was like, wait, how old are you? And the whole thing got scrapped. And that was the first example of God doing for me what I could not do for myself. And to this day, God continuing to do what I cannot do for myself. This will be my ninth Thanksgiving where my mom doesn't have to pick me up from a sober living, bring me somewhere, bring me back, or pick me up from a literal street corner, help me get cleaned up, bring me somewhere, and bring me back and explain to family members and friends why I look the way that I do. And she doesn't have to do that this year. I'm grateful for that every year. And remembering that keeps me in my recovery and keeps it fresh after all this time. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. That was the lovely and incredibly fit Janine Coulter from the Chasing Heroin podcast. She's like right now instructing a spin class. And check out Chasing Heroin. I was on Chasing Heroin. Janine is a great friend of the show. Love the tramp stamp story and your gratitude. Another thing that I am grateful for is Diamond Recovery. Diamond Recovery's mission is to create a healing and encouraging environment that is designed to nurture those struggling with mental health and substance use disorder. They are passionate about providing patients with the tools they need in order to build a strong foundation. Diamond was founded by our friend Adam, and Adam basically was inspired to create Diamond because he had a brother who was struggling with substance abuse, and his brother, it was hard for them to find a bed for his brother, and then once they did, his brother got sober, and Adam realized if he could help his brother get sober, then he can help anyone get sober. What Adam loves is ending the stigma. He enjoys really helping people, and Diamond is a place that helps people. They are a high-end treatment center. It's where hotel and hospital meet. They have an incredible um, special. They have an incredible specialization on co-occurring mental health disorders. So if you are struggling with co-occurring mental health disorders or substance abuse, and you're willing to go to Atlanta, Georgia, or Boca Raton, Florida, check them out at DiamondRecovery.com or give them a call at one eight four four nine zero nine. 2525. Check them out. Diamondrecovery.com. And here's a little more gratitude from longtime dopes, Jed, and of course, the great Aaron Carr. Hey, Dopey Nation. This is Jed from Church and Other Drugs. Uh, I have a lot to be thankful for this year. I just had my first baby girl, Ruth, on uh, last Thursday. I I am so thankful that I get to experience uh, being a father sober and that she never has to see her daddy uh, doing drugs or being high. So that is what I'm thankful for. And uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation. Toodles for Chris. Hi, Dopey Nation. This is Aaron Carr. I want to wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving, whatever that looks like for you, however you celebrate it. And even if you don't celebrate it, I feel like this is a really good time of year to take stock of what we're grateful for. 
And I am really, really grateful for what Dave and Chris started with the podcast, for my friendship with you, Dave, and for the hundreds and hundreds of Dopey Nation members whom I've met and hugged and spoken with. You really make my life better. And I think we do that for each other collectively. And that is a super awesome thing. Despite how painful and chaotic the world is right now, it's really comforting to know that there is a large group of people to whom I feel connected because we're all on this particular journey together. So have a really great day if you celebrate Thanksgiving. And if you don't, have a great day anyway. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. So that is, of course, strung out author, unlicensed advice columnist, and elite equestrian Aaron Carr, and of course Jed from Church and Other Drugs, who just had his first daughter. So we love hearing from you guys. We're super grateful. I'm super grateful for you guys, and I'm super grateful for our community. We're going to get to Margaret Cho in a second. I just want to say first, this episode is also brought to you by the very, very great people out in the Pacific Northwest at Discover Recovery. Discover Recovery is an amazing treatment center. They have two beautiful facilities in Washington State, one which is very, very close to Oregon. They specialize in treating young adults, and if you are in the Pacific Northwest looking for a place to get well, check them out. Our friend Chris Paulson, who was just on the show, started Discover Recovery. He takes great pride in the integrity of around discover and that their whole mission is to really look after their clients they want to help people and they are helping people also the accommodations are super plush the medical staff is there seven days a week they are providing the best treatment possible to a region that has been historically underserved so if you're fucked and you want to go to the Pacific Northwest to get well, you need to check out Discover Recovery at discoverrecovery.com. All right, something else that I'm just extremely grateful for is Margaret Cho. Margaret Cho is like just a legend, comedy legend, pop culture icon. And the fact that she is a part of our community and she loves the show. So she came to my dad's house to record a show. But I wanted her to get in the Thanksgiving spirit. So here's Margaret Cho's gratitude, followed by Br'er Brian's quick jingle, followed by Margaret Cho. And I also need to say that the song at the front is also Margaret Cho, because she's a world-class musician as well. So here's Margaret's gratitude, then Br'er Brian's ding, ding, da, ding, and then the great Margaret Cho. Happy Thanksgiving, Dopey Nation. I'm so grateful for the Dopey Nation, Dopey Podcast, for Dave, uh, for all of us who are out here trying to do this sober or trying to maybe reduce some of the harm. You know, this is what it's all about. Harm reduction. Um, If you're not ready, then maybe... Think about being ready to be ready. Whatever it is, I want your life to be good. Because my life is really good. Love you. Margaret Cho is at my dad's house. I love it. Now, before we get into... Dad, where are you going? I'm not going. I need to take this 
Listen, we, Margaret Cho just said to my dad, what did you say to him? I think that uh, Dave should put his name on the lease so that you can keep this apartment in perpetuity. This is a great apartment. A lot of history, too. A lot of history and a lot of history to be made. I mean, this is a perfect headquarters for your, uh, for your world do dopey domination. And... and Dad, so what's your response to, to the very, this is the, probably the most famous person that's ever been in this apartment. Yes, I'll be sorry, yes. No, no one else was so famous, that's true. Uh, you, know, you know that I keep giving advice that when you decide to do something, you should think about it first and think of the ramifications of what the decision you're making is gonna cause. So if I put you on the lease and you didn't live here, there's a very, very good chance that I get thrown out of this place. See, it's a fear-based situation. Yeah. Oh, but you do kind of live here, don't you? No. No? no oh. No, I don't. I, mm -hmm. I come here as little as possible. <laughs> I come here, as if my dad's not here, I work here very often. Mm -hmm. But since this development of my father's infirmia, in I try to keep people away from this place. But I, you wanted to come, so we did no, it. It's, Margaret, it's terrific that you're here. Yeah, I'm thank very, you. I'm very happy that you came. I'm very happy. And I'm ha so happy to meet you. I'm such a fan. And you didn't tell me your dad was so young. So young and handsome. And handsome. Young and handsome. Yes. Um, does he sound older and uglier on the podcast? No, it's just that uh, I think that whenever you, you hear, oh, it's somebody's parent, you just imagine, oh, there must they must be older. So He's very, very old. He just <laughs> looks good. I'm very old. I just want to get older, by the way. I hope this operation works. Yes. I think just let's talk about this for a second, and then we'll move on to more important, important things. But from a 12-step perspective, right, mm -hmm. a next right thing, uh, honesty and all that stuff, if you have to live here to have the spot, like what's your take on that? Because you're a hardcore 12-step person. You should live here. I mean, you should actually. But my family doesn't want to live here. Mm. There's possibilities that could happen that, in fact, in fact, it could be, because it's happened here before that when people get older and the child moves in, you know, to take care of the parents and things like I'm that. I'm not moving in to take care of Well, them. maybe, but, you know, what you should yes, think about yeah. is maybe one of your daughters, when she goes to NYU, exactly. is things going like to want to live here with him, and they can be roomies, and, and then, then, you know, that would be a good true. sort of a plan. And I could be elsewhere a lot of times at the, at the palatial lakeside mansion. Nora often talks about displacing you in this apartment, so that could work. <laughs> that might, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. So this has been wonderful, so we Dad. Skip, we skip a generation. You don't get <laughs> Now, Margaret Cho is a world-renowned comedian. For me, world-renowned dopey fan, which is just touches my heart. And I got to see you perform twice this year. Yes. And, you know, one thing I don't think we ever talked about is how much of an actual icon you are. Oh, my God. Thank you. I don't even think about that, but Dude, yeah, thank you. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> when I saw you in New Jersey, the mm -hmm. response, it was like insanity. Oh, thank like, you, yes. I thought your stand-up was super funny. Thank you. And, um, and fun. Really, really fun. And, and you were in New York City to do Town Hall, yes. which is a tremendous show. Yes. And you did the Today Show yesterday. Mm -hmm. And now you show up at my dad's uh, hovel in public housing today. I love it. I love it. But this is, this is an amazing apartment. This is an amazing place. The reason that I agree with you is because it's cheap and it's big and it's in the middle of Manhattan. Yeah. But this neighborhood is not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of 
very, very affluent gay in New York City moved up half a mile to Hell's Kitchen. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, it's not happening. Like, it's like, like Hudson Yards popped up. So all of the poverty that was over there kind of came over here. People in the building are complaining about it. Mm -hmm. There was a McDonald's next door for, I don't know, 50 years. They just destroyed the block, but still somehow it smells like McDonald's. <laughs> it's never going to stop. It's a phantom McDonald's smell. <laughs> um, I just finished the book. I'm the one. What is it? I'm the one that I want. I'm the one that I want. Margaret's auto memoir. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, one of the things I think we have in common are dealing with our parents mm -hmm. comedically. Yes. Do you think that there's some kind of similarity to the way we deal with our folks? Well, it's a um, it's the outsider immigrant comedic response because it's coping. You got to cope with um suffering in that way of an outsider that's a very it's like a very jewish thing to uh cope with things through humor because it's a really about trying to find hope in a situation and survival it's the same way anything anything that's sort of immigrant based is like immigrant based trauma is coping through humor which is very jewish it's very asian it's very immigrant so we have that is there a korean tradition of coping with humor Yes, yes. Uh, and Korean humor is really earthy and it, it's also very, it, they like to catastrophize. So that's, I think, very Jewish too. Catastrophization of everything. Like, I'm done. Everything in like Korean culture, like words, it's like, chukkeso, I'm going to die. Chukkeso, I'm going to die. I'm going <laughs> to, it's everything is, well, I'm just going to die. Right. And, and like, one of the bits, like, you're about when your mom calls up to tell you that her dad is going to die mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, like, and just putting it out there. Mm -hmm. Like, just because you didn't know that everybody's going to die. Yeah. So she needs to tell you. Yeah. To warn you that it's coming. She's just, like, every time I talk to her, she's like, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're okay. Well, he had a stroke. Okay, bye. <laughs> like, it's very, it's just, it's just a stroke. It's just, you know, that's not, it's better than heart attack. <laughs> when did you get the, the voice down? Oh, we always make fun of our parents. I mean, it's a very Asian American thing to make fun of your parents because then it's like you're, you're separating yourself from uh, their foreignness. So you're Americanizing yourself whenever you... Because you're not as foreign as that. Right. Which is good. So you make fun of them. Also, like our generation, we're not just the kids. We have to be their legal representation because we have to call everybody like a sort of any sort of government office because we're the ones who have the mastery of English. Right. So you're, you're their, their translator yeah. into the, into the world of America. Your parents were so hardcore fringy by nature. Yeah. Like we've talked about it before, but famously your, your parents owned a, a gay bookstore, a gay bookstore. Yes. So like when they see the material that you do, is there any shock? Well, they, they just, are very amused, I think. They're, they're like, oh, oh. You, and they're like very excited that they're in a place where everybody's paid to get there to see me. That's the most- It's thrilling. That's the most exciting thing because they're looking around at all these people who paid to be there and that's the most incredible. So I think they don't really listen too much to the content. That's not as uh, exceptional as the fact that people are there to see this thing, you know? That's the best. I think that that's just they're excited that people pay to yeah. see their child, yeah. which is you. They're excited. It's a thrill it is. that your child is successful. Absolutely. And and 
iconic mm -hmm. and iconic for being what they are, which is Korean and queer loving, mm -hmm. if not queer. Yes. And, and the story about when your mom tells you about your dad and his friend, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. and, and his sort of almost gay experience. Well, he had a best friend who they loved each other and they did everything together. And then one day the friend tried to kiss my dad and my dad punched him and my my mom said oh, they can never be friends they never talk again so don't don't punch don't punch <laughs> don't punch don't punch so that's a, an important lesson and do you think that was like super important to him starting the store i think he just loves male attention because he's a, my dad's very handsome so we have that in common too yeah handsome dads it's vain you know, they love male attention. My dad's very vain. Oh, yeah. Very vain. Is mm -hmm. your dad vain also? Very vain. Very vain. He's excited because they're at a new assisted living now. And he's the only man that can walk. Nice. So he doesn't have a walker or a wheelchair. And he's just like walking around the grounds. People are impressed with he's that. He's very impressive. <laughs> walking, walking and talking. Walking and talking. Walking real fast. Nice. So he's, he's carrying a lot of stuff. Did your parents do any drugs? I think they smoked pot. A couple of times in the 60s when they first came to America. And we lived right by Golden Gate Park, which is right down from Haight Street. So we were there that time. So they, there's all these photographs, too. My dad had a really nice camera. So we would go in the park and he would take photographs of people smoking pot and these like hippie weddings and gatherings. And so he was around it. I don't think they ever did acid or anything, but pot was definitely. Like, but 60s pot was nothing. I mean, it wasn't anything compared to what we have now. No, not at all. Or or, or like your green fairies. Oh, gosh. Like, and, and the green fairy, just anybody that didn't hear the story, is absinthe, THC butter, and tea. It's a green tea with uh, THC butter melted into it and uh, absinthe over the top with a little bit of sugar. It's really uh, something you could... Probably um, perform surgery after. Right. Most people who drank it fell asleep. Yes. And um, I have a lot of deep pile furniture where we could just fall asleep in. Uh, but it, it was like, a, that was a house beverage. How did your parents respond to you being an alcoholic or a drug addict? They really didn't get it. Although I do have a lot of history of alcoholism in my family. But because nobody sought treatment, they never called it alcoholism. What did they call it? They just... Oh, she drink all the time. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't like have a, they, they just don't really call it anything. They just people, because most of the people in my family either die in their early, early 50s. They don't even reach 50 or 92 and above. Usually alcoholism kills them pretty early on. And, and when did your parents know that you had like a proclivity towards getting high or drunk? I think, uh, well, I definitely had it as a young teenager, but then I was really out of the house. I kind of ran away and I was gone from the house for a long time. Maybe they sort of knew then and they never really understood it was a problem. Probably and um, uh, not until I got sober the first time in the 90s. So and that, that was when I made them go to therapy with me and then I explained to them. Then? Yeah, about what was happening with me. And um, they kind of just thought, oh, it, you got over it at that point. They didn't realize that later on in my 30s and 40s I had a big problem. 
when you brought them into your recovery the first time, were they like poo pooing it or did they know how much support you needed or? Yeah. Well, I was really, uh, angry at them. And that had to do with a lot of the like unresolved trauma that I had that had nothing to do with them. Really. It was just all sort of in my, my own head. And so making them go to therapy, which is really hard because they'd never ever been to anything like that. That was really scary for them to talk about it, to talk about it, but also to bring in a witness that was white. There's a woman who was like trying to help us. They were mortified because they just didn't know how to cope with that. So it was really hard for them. And like in the beginning, you were just like feeling on the outside of the world, right? You, mm -hmm. you felt like an outsider. What kind of trauma was the initial unpack? Well, the initial unpacking of trauma was like, oh, you uh, didn't pay attention to me because you were working and, you know, I didn't have the, that sort of feeling of being assured because you were just absent and there was like a rage around that. And it was really uh, unfair. Like, it's that kind of thing where you're first getting sober and you're just awakening into this world of pain that you didn't you didn't get what understand. you needed. You didn't get what you needed. And then that's like the biggest insult. You know, like it was before I realized that anything was really like something that I should be accountable for. So it was a very selfish emergence into this idea of like, well, you're in recovery, but not recovery from your own selfishness. Just recovery from drugs and alcohol. No, it's deep because like I love to blame my dad mm -hmm. for my heroin addiction. It's like mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to blame my parents. Yeah. But if we work a program, we need to, I mean, the whole thing of working a program is finding our part. There's nothing else really to working a program besides that. You know yeah. what I mean? So you got sober the first time in how old? I was 27 and I wish I had stayed sober. That That's like my, you know, you, you can't really have regrets. I, that's my one regret, but I can't change the beginning of the story, but I can change the end. That's my Why do you philosophy. regret it now? Because I think that, so I have a lot of friends now who initially, you know, when I was, I was the one that was like, I was like the golden child and I was like sponsoring everybody and I'm like, I'm going to do this for you. And I, you know, the people I helped now have like 25 years, which I mean, that's just an ego thing. Right. That's what I was going to ask you. So, is, it, is it the number? It's the number. And it's not even like, doesn't even mean anything because it's not like everybody's life is better. No. It's just, it's just like, it's just a number. How many people do you know with like 30 years that are not doing the thing lots, and miserable? Lots, lots, lots. In fact, it, it's almost like worse in a way because the, the problems are not as immediate. There's more depth and weight to the problems. <laughs> well, it compounds if you're not cleaning the channel out. Right. If you're not doing that. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, when do you think you knew you were an alcoholic? I didn't really, um, I, I didn't really get it. I didn't get it until I was first told I was, you know, and that didn't, it didn't occur to me until I was actually presented to this world of recovery. Like it, it really didn't occur to me. Like, cause it just seemed to me that was like the normal part of life. There was not a sense of that. I may not have even realized it until I was well into like sobriety the first time. Really? Yeah. So, so what? I, remind me the story that brought you to, to recovery so the first I was, time. Um, 
I came to LA and I was doing a lot of Fen Fen, which was this weird diet drug. Yeah, yeah, for the TV show. Yeah, and it was like an upper and a downer at the same time. It's it's illegal now because it gave people like heart valve issues. But um, then they were prescribing it like crazy in the 90s because they just, you know, gave it to everyone. So I got, I got prescription of that. And then whenever they say, okay, it's really important that you don't drink alcohol when you take this, I'm like, oh, you mean take drink alcohol when you take this? <laughs> I'm like, I am like the, the personification of that droopy eye thing <laughs> that's on like a prescription label. Right, right, right. I love it when I see like the droopy eye. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is going to be good shit. Right. So I uh, was drinking on it. I had a boyfriend and he was nuts. He was a crack addict. They called him Goldilocks because he had a problem where he would go and just fall asleep in people's cars and houses. And like he would just find a place. And say, this, this bed is just right. <laughs> he would just fall asleep and right. then wake up to guns drawn. Right. Either from proprietors or like police homeowners or, or police right. or whatever. So me and Goldilocks were out and I was drinking and I was on this drug. I was crazy skinny and I was driving. I hit this car in the middle of the night and like 10 giant dudes got out of the car and I, I was yelling at them because, because I hit them. How dare you be where I can hit you. Didn't you see I was, I'm driving here. I'm driving here. And they were, I was screaming so insanely that by the end of it, they were backing up, trying to get away. Like, ma'am, we're really sorry, ma'am. Because you were insane. Because I'm so crazy in that state when I, feel like I have been wronged. Sure, justifiable anger. So Delicious. Nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. And so they were like, and they were like gangbangers. They were like, probably had guns, probably, but they were just like, this is not, we don't want to deal with this. So they they apologized for me hitting them and then got back Do in the car. Do you think they recognized you? No, 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 no. This was before any of that sort of stuff happened. But I was like, so nuts that it was just too too much for them. And uh, I, we went back to my apartment and then the next morning there was a big urine stain in the bed and we're like fighting over who peed the bed because the stain was in the middle. And then he was like, you know what, let's go to a meeting. <laughs> and so we went, we went and uh, then I, you know, that was a place that I really felt like, oh, this is the right thing. And did he get sober too? He didn't. He actually came to New York. He's actually fine now. He's a dad. He's totally different. He's not, he found a, a really nice place to sleep, I guess. Yeah. And it hit the place where he belonged. Where the, he belonged. The bed that was actually just right. right. That's nice. When, you're, when your career took off and they gave you the show, mm-hmm. uh, All American Girl, mm-hmm. and, the, and then they're like, but your face just happens to be too full. Too fat. I was, that's when I got on the pills. Right. Cause I, but I already had, before that, I was like a big, I've always been into weed. I've always had this real love affair for marijuana that, you know, and now I think it just, it, it, it's not going to work. It wouldn't work. Like it just, I may try to be you like green and sober. Face. Yeah. I want it to work, but it just, I don't think so because I can't manage it. it I, I lose too much of my life. I even, even with know, weed. I don't even know of that. I mean, I'm totally with you. you we've talked about this. It's mm-hmm. my whole shtick. Like, I want to be a stoner. Listen yeah. Home brothers. I heard this dude shared a meeting the other day. He's maybe 70, 68 or something. He had 30 years. And it wasn't weed. He was like, I want to have a drink when I'm in my 60s in retirement. Yeah. And I, and he went to Mexico and he had a drink. And he he, like, got lost in it. 
but he said the shame he felt just from giving up all the stuff. Like yeah. The spiritual component, all the stuff was so bad that now he has, I don't know, seven months back or something. Mm-hmm. But when he said that story, I was like, maybe I don't have my rocking chair Almond Brothers uh, reservation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, did you have a weed reservation like I did? Yeah. And I still do. Like, every time I smell it, which I just smell it everywhere here in the city. It's amazing. It, it's, it's a, like... It's a stoner's paradise this Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I know. But also, like, I don't smoke weed like I... I sh- like a stoner. I don't do it like a person who just enjoys, because I'm always going to escalate it. Me too. I'm always going to escalate it. It's going to be, I have to have alcohol then. If I can't just stop at one thing, you know, because I used to be just a stoner. If I could just have stayed that. We're, the, we're exactly, it's like, we're exactly yeah. the same like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you heard the episode where I went to treatment years ago and I had to write a goodbye letter to heroin. Mm-hmm. And my letter was like, you dirty whore. You <laughs> took me away from my beautiful girlfriend, yes. Weed. Yes. And that sounds like what you're talking about. It's very similar. It's very similar. But it's also my relationship to oblivion. Like I can't, 100%. I can't court that because when I smoke weed, I smoke it every minute of every day. And live for it. And then it becomes identity. All I do is that. And especially with Bud now. It's like, like you said, you will, you will have oblivion. You, mm-hmm. And also as we deteriorate, like my sweet father, being stoned and deteriorating won't be a good look. No, and I know that from people who I am friends with who have been smoking weed this whole time. Right. I stay friends with all my stoner friends and they, you see the progression of the brain damage, <laughs> which sucks. It's real. And it's also like there's a, a certain boredom Mm-hmm. That becomes more pronounced because I find that when I'm smoking, I'm not doing all the other things. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to make things. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be responsible. I'm trying to stay high, stay comfortable, mm-hmm. stay in a blanket with cookies and mm-hmm. TV and whatever. I love. There's a big stoner contingent to the donor dopey nation. Though. Yeah. There's a like a bunch of people like Jackie, like Jackie is hasn't had a drink in 20 years but he smokes weed i don't think he smokes weed like you and me though no it's different i mean i respect anybody who wants to get sober by degrees to how it fits them 100 percent. it doesn't matter if you're like not drinking but smoking weed like that california sober thing that's fine to me i just can't do it exactly last week we had a dude on who was smoking weed up till fairly recently and he would take mushrooms. Oh, the heroic doses. Of heroic. Quarterly? Yeah. Quarterly. Five gram trips of, of mushrooms. Which is interesting. I mean, I think that's its own kind of like therapy probably. I just couldn't because I know like, oh, it's just going to turn into something. If I took mushrooms, I'd be like, I need to smoke weed while I take mushrooms. Yeah. If I smoked weed while I took mushrooms, I'd be like, I need to smoke tomorrow. What time? Yeah. What time am I allowed to smoke tomorrow? It just wouldn't end. And I wouldn't do it in a therapeutic way. I just, I, I don't trust myself with that kind of, um, I don't think of it as leniency. It's, it's just your own definition of what works for you. And it wouldn't work for me because I'm just too much of a deviant. And then we go down these paths, right? We, we go down these paths. Because we, it's hard to say, I actually like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I actually, I mean, when I mean recovery, like, I mm-hmm. actually like the deal. Yeah. But I need to say all the shit you just said. 
Mm-hmm. I don't do it because I'll be too deviant. I don't do it because I'll totally lose control. I never, I rarely say I don't do it because I really like not doing it now. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, a, it's like, it's a good, it's like, it's I'm ashamed to say that I enjoy my recovery. I do. I enjoy it because I'm just here for it. And I have like, I already have like massive problems with like attention and I'm like, I freaking forget everything. So I can't do it. I can't do any more drugs because I just don't have it in me. How do you retain your act? That for some reason is always there. Like it's, it's pretty good. Um, I guess because I just do it so much. It's out of repetition. Right. So there, you know, and I, I don't really take breaks from my stand-up comedy. So I do it every few days at least. It's such a cool job. It's a good job. Now, let's go back in time mm-hmm. to the the beginnings of your addiction when it's really kind of, you were, you became a stoner and like a theater person and like a weirdo. It all kind of happened mm-hmm. simultaneously. Mm-hmm. When does it turn like obsessive? I think it's right away. Okay. I think it's right away. I mean, weed was just gave me a safe place in my head to be. So I wanted to revisit that all the time. I mean, weed was like home home base. You know, when you can do something that regulates your anxiety in a way. And then I always had problems with like insomnia. And then I, you know, that's how you become a stoner is you do that, that thing right before you go to bed. Yeah. Then your brain starts to go, oh, I can't sleep without this. Yeah. And that's it's almost like your blanket. And what would you, like, how would you smoke weed before bed? I always took bong hits before bed. I would take, uh, I always had, um, like, a corn cob pipe. Nice. I love a one-hitter. Yeah. I do love a little box, like a one-hitter box. The old metal bat with the box yeah. kind of thing that looks like the fake cigarette. Yeah, yeah I love classic. the fake yeah, cigarette, classic. wooden box, oh, yeah. one-hitter. Um, easy when I was living with my parents, I would just like smoke it out the window or I would take a shower and like the shower, like the smoke would like theoretically go out the window with the steam. Do you think your parents knew, but kind of didn't care because it was like San Francisco hippie style. It's just weed. I think that they just weren't aware. I don't think they really understood really. And also they were not present because they were always working. So they were not physically there a lot. So that sort of made it a little bit easier. And when does alcohol become a thing? Alcohol became more of an issue when I uh, started to do Fen-Fen. That's what I thought. That's really when alcohol came in because I didn't really drink before that. But because I was so jacked jacked on that speed that you need something to go to sleep. And so alcohol kind of became alcohol and pot, which isn't a good combination, I don't think. It's It's not good. It's not like alcohol and opiates, which is they're made to be together. I never drank enough to know of the synergy. Like my body rejected mm. alcohol every time I took That's it. That's better. Like I couldn't I like I couldn't manage it. That's better because alcohol and opiates is the most perfect love affair in my body and that's the worst combination. See, I loved opiates, benzos, weed. I love all those too. Opiates I and I couldn't my body couldn't handle alcohol so I feel like I'm missing out now. I feel like It's better though. <laughs> it's so much better. Like I my the trifecta it's alcohol, opiates, muscle relaxers. Like what? Soma. Yeah. The soma coma. I never had I, I took a few of them. I never became a soma person. It has to be with the opiates. It has to be with like a Vicodin or whatever, oxy, whatever. I really want to to talk about Kratom. I feel like we talked about it last time. We talked about it last time, but Kratom is really like 
a con these are my two issues, uh, kratom and opium if you grow it yourself. <laughs> wow. Do you know anyone that grows their own opium? No, but I always thought this is what I'm going to do. I, I, I always think like grow yourself open or buy those uh, poppy seeds in bulk. Like you had a couple of ep uh, emails where dopes would grow or not grow, no, they'd but they buy poppy pounds seeds. of poppy seeds and then they would get a legit habit off it. Yeah. They'd get high from it. Yeah. They'd make that poppy seed mash. Which to me, I'm like, uh, that gives me reservations. Oh, did you see that big fentanyl bus in Boston? I think it was Boston where they had like kilograms upon kilograms of Valentine candy heart fentanyl. I didn't see it. Oh my God. Oh I my saw God. it all. They had it all on the table. It was like s several million dollars of like fentanyl, but it was all in these pink Valentine candy hearts. What's your fascination with do-it-yourself opium. Because I think like if you can figure out how to grow it yourself, you should be able to have that. If you could actually score the poppy, the pods and like make your own like latex and make like your, craft opium, like craft beer at yeah, home brewing kind of to thing. To make it yourself. I mean, I have a green thumb. I have a garden. I have a strawberry patch and tomato plants and herbs. And I do all this stuff with plants. And I'm like, Oh gosh, you know, if I, I would be able to deserve to like have a habit if I can actually have like a ladylike, beautiful garden opiate habit. Well, anybody in the dopey nation that grows their own poppies and has, <laughs> I've grown poppies, but I've never had pods. I've well, never had pods with resin bursting out of it. I mean, you should be able to do that. Like if you live in sort of like that kind of a climate like that, you would, you know, maybe that they have in Afghanistan and then you could have that, you know, beautiful lush poppy gardens and then um make opium and then also have i have an opium bed that i actually dismantled and i could i could i could probably put it back up did you ever do opium yeah i did it one time at a fish show <laughs> so dumb. tell the story please <laughs> well i also fit i love fish but if you don't like a song you were shit out of luck for like 45 minutes <laughs> songs go on and on and on but i i was um at a sh it was at Bonnaroo, actually. So it was a festival. It was like, you know, half jam bands and half like other bands. Mm -hmm. And um, they had a guy who just had this opium that he gave me and this guy that I was with. And it was just black, sort of black, and you would just smoke it. It didn't seem like I smoked it correctly. And it didn't really give me a high because I was already way, way into blues at Roxy Cotton at the time. So it didn't give me anything. So you were, you were, how are you doing the Roxy's? I would uh, just take them like a pill. Take them with a, a Soma and a bottle of red wine. So opium is not really going to touch you at that no, point. No. And it never, I never really got high off it. I just like the fantasy of the, all of this stuff. Like I like that long pipe. I like an opium bed. Did you ever smoke a long pipe on an opium bed? No. That's all I wanted. I, I was talking to somebody at a meeting the other day, and they were talking about going to Thailand for their honeymoon. And I was like, I was all about going to Southeast Asia when I was strung out, like doing it, getting cheap heroin. Like mm. I was terrified to do it. I used to watch Locked Up Abroad, mm -hmm. but I'd still fantasize about going to Southeast Asia to do heroin. Yeah, because it just seems like, it's oh, cheap. well, you're going there and they'll have like- Opium uh, beds for you. Opium beds to lay down. Pipes. Uh, I did get opium once in um, Rajasthan, was driving through uh, India 
And we would stop at these like places where you could buy scarves and carpets or whatever. And in the back, they would sell like opium and they, they brought it out. But I don't even know, like it didn't even, it didn't register as the way I thought it was. They would give it to you and it looked like liver, but it was black and it was wet and you would just eat it or put it in tea or something. And I assume I got high from it, but I don't even remember because I was just doing so many other drugs. It didn't have a a sense of like having an effect. So if anyone in the Dopey Nation has a good opium story Mm -hmm. or a growing poppies yourself story, please send it in. That to me would be like sort of my kind of thing of like, oh, that's my fantasy of being an old lady, having Mm. a garden full of poppies, harvesting opium, Every day. Oh, I would really love that life. Isn't that beautiful? I would love that life. You know, I, I think that would be okay. <laughs> but it's like another little myth I had in my head was if I was old and rich, I could afford opiates. But old mm-hmm. and rich people can't afford it. I mean, like spiritually or psychologically, like they don't make it. It's not about, yeah, and it's not about the money really. It's just about like you can't afford it with the psyche that I have. I can't afford that amount of oblivion. With the, with the way that I um, need to purchase reality. <laughs> I feel like you don't hear stories, though, about old people that can maintain opiate habits. Like Little Miss Sunshine, the Alan Arkin character in that, he's like 70 years old and he starts doing heroin then. Mm-hmm. And he's like, like the kid says to him, you can't, why are you doing heroin? And Alan Arkin's like, You'd be crazy if you did heroin, kid. I'd be crazy if I didn't. Oh, you know, and yeah. I was like, okay, mental note, do heroin at 70. Well, like, how did William S. Burroughs do it? Didn't he ever maintain a habit for his whole uh, life? It's it's very controversial. The because Burroughs moved back to Kansas mm-hmm. and he had this assistant, James Guarl Horitz or something. And I always want to get him on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm very, I, I don't know how to find him. But I think at the end of his life, he stopped doing heroin and just had methadone. Mm. I think he just did methadone at the end of his life for many, 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 many years. Yeah. I just. Uh, he didn't like, it, it didn't do well for him, heroin. There's mm. a lot of problems, a lot of crime. Yeah. Like he lived on the Bowery. And I, I don't know. It. I think like when you describe if you smoke weed, you'd probably drink, you'd probably do this. Mm-hmm. With him and heroin, it was like crime and, and like chaos. It wasn't like the little old lady with the opium garden. Yeah. And that's not how it would be for me either. Like, I don't think I would have that kind of experience. And But it's just like the fantasy of it. Just like the fantasy of Kratom. I saw a taxi that had a Kratom ad on top. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. That's crazy. What's your, t- I mean, like Kratom, like we had a real moment in Dopeyland where like everyone was on Kratom mm-hmm. and now like, and people were trying so hard to get off of it yeah. and like they're getting on Suboxone and then they're relapsing on heroin off of Suboxone, mm-hmm. which started as Kratom. I mean, Kratom just seems like anything else. It just, you yeah, did it's it, just though, like right? I did it for years. I had a hardcore Kratom habit for like 10 years. I, and it, did, it was, it was start, started so that I wouldn't be dope sick when I couldn't get Roxycontin or whatever. And then, it became its own thing. And then I would need that in addition to whatever other opiates I was doing. In your life now, do you know people that do Kratom? I've seen it. I've seen it. Not as much. It, it is. It makes an appearance every once in a while in sobriety. People who take it. I don't have an issue with. I mean, people do whatever they need. Like to me, it's like whatever you can do to not be dope sick and also not reach for that 
heroin or fentanyl or whatever, then it's good. Right. I mean, I, I like, I don't preach anything on no. the show. No. But like what I would say is do your best to enjoy your life. Yeah. And if that's smoking weed and it's working, it's do it. For you. And if yeah. it's whatever it is, if it's working. It's fine. I can't. I'm just saying I can't. I know that the people that do it, I can't. I love the little old lady with the opium. Isn't that cute? That's a whole other level. It's just, it's just to me, that's very cottage core. Like it's very like beautiful. And I would have a lot of like floral things, a lot of lace doilies and a beautiful opium bed, which I already have that I could actually assemble. Do you think you, I know the answer, but do you think you could maintain a florally beautiful aesthetic life if you're fucking strung out on opium? No. No. Because I would get lazy and not want to do that and then just go to You'd buy fentanyl, fentanyl 100% immediately. <laughs> like, it would just, and I would be dead. And then I wouldn't be found for a long time and then my cats would eat my body. Well, at least your cats would. They would be high. What about Lucia? Lucia, Lucia would, would get high on you. She would get high on me. Lucia is the sweetest dog. She's such a good girl. She licked my face during She's this. She's a very good girl. It was very nice. I've become a dog person. Well, with Winnie. I've, I'm totally like in love with the dog. Beautiful. I'm in love with the dog. Did you, you know? ever get into Benzo seriously? Yes. What was your Benzo period? That was later. That was later. And that was like serious, you know, barred out yeah, 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 yeah. all the time. That was in your Roxy period? Yeah. Bars and Roxy's like, it's just, it's a miracle I didn't die. I think another thing that I think that I don't know how much you've thought about it. I'm sure you have, you know, you're, you're top comedian in the country doing shows with Jerry Seinfeld and Joan Rivers and like the biggest of the big Robin Williams mm -hmm. and all of these like mega stars. And, and you get this sitcom, which mm -hmm. is the, the pinnacle of a, a comedian's career at mm -hmm. that point. Mm -hmm. Like Jerry always, Jerry Seinfeld always said, you either do a talk show or a sitcom. Yeah. And they tell you that your face is too full. Mm -hmm. So you take speed. Mm -hmm. And then because the speed makes you go nuts, you have to drink. Yeah. So it's like when we talk about filling the hole, mm -hmm. it's almost like the fame created this hole for yeah. you to fill. Of course. Of course. And it's just also creating like this thing of not really managing. It's also looking for shortcuts. Like I'm constantly looking for, like I don't want to diet and exercise. So I'm going to take this drug in order. <laughs> like I don't want to actually like try to figure out how to go to sleep normally. Like I want to just take this drug to like, you know, chill out. Like it's a very um, thing of like constantly looking for the shortcut, the fast answer. How do you do with sleeping now? I love it. I'm actually really good with it. It's somehow regulated itself, like managed it. It's a little bit challenging sometimes with traveling and time zones. And I can't even imagine. Yeah, that's a little bit rough. But um, every once in a while, like I'll take a Benadryl, but that really makes me feel like, like a hallucinogen. I love it. I, I, I really, I have like a problem. Like I, it's trippy. I have a problem with, with sleep aids mm -hmm. and it's borderline, uh, borderline yeah. <laughs> relapse material yeah only i mean because i take it because i i'm scared of not sleeping yeah and i take it because if i wake up at three in the morning and i don't take it mm -hmm. i won't be able to go back to sleep right. um i take one you yeah. know what i mean and and i and i also love the dreams yeah it's i nice. love the insanity dreams it's nice like the 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 relapse dreams i don't get to uh -huh. use or, or just the insanity like yeah 
it's like th- this place that my brain can go without me going there. Right. I don't see it as a relapse. No, it's not. But I do. I got into a, a practice of not doing it mm-hmm. and sleeping. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is probably better. Yeah. I, I take melatonin. when I feel like I'm at my best when I only take five milligrams of melatonin. That's nothing. I know. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so now I'm back to Benadryl. I like um, the uh, melatonin patch. That's kind of a good, like a skin delivery. That's kind like of a good that? thing. Yeah. How often do you use the melatonin patch? If I can really like not sleep, I'll use it. Uh, it depends, sort of depends, but what, not that. What time do you determine you can't sleep? It's so, maybe like one in the morning. If I, if I really can't sleep, I'll put on a melatonin patch and then I'll pretend it's fentanyl. Like yeah. A, an old school fentanyl patch. Old school analgesic. <laughs> yeah. Do you get the dreams? Uh, I did when I used a patch that had 5-HTP. 5-HTP will give you crazy dreams. What is 5-HTP? It's just another like sleep supplement kind of thing, like a whatever, nootropic, I guess. But um, it give you really nuts dreams. Benadryl doesn't give you the crazy dreams. Benadryl gives me like sleep paralysis demon kind of dreams. So what does that look like? That's just like I'm I'm laying in bed, but there there's like dark figures moving around the bed or... Something, but it's usually like my cats or Lucia on me. So I'm like hallucinating that they're actually like people or something. You know, that's a weird, that's a weird one. It's, it's, I, I don't know why I like, why I like it. Like I like that Benadryl at night feeling. It's nice. I just think it dries out my sinuses so much that I can't do it too much. Cause it, it actually works. Like it does what it's supposed to. No, totally. I mean, the best is if I'm sneezing before bed. Mm. And then I have a re like a, it's it's important that I take it as opposed to just needing to sleep. Yeah, you know? it's a it's a ni- it's it's a nice thing to have in your back pocket, like whatever you need. It's good, it's good. But yeah, I think that's that's a fine thing. Like sleep aids are. I, I know some people who take definitely like Ambien or or whatever. I can't because I abuse Ambien. I I really like Ambien. I once told Bob Forrest, I, I, had, I was really sick, and I told Bob Forrest I took NyQuil, and he was like, did you reset your day count? I was like, no. I don't think that you would have to. No, it's, I mean, no. My sponsor doesn't think so either. No. And Bob Forrest isn't my sponsor, so it's okay. Everybody has a different Take. approach to totally. that kind of stuff. I don't think of it as, does it have alcohol in it? I don't no. think. You don't get NyQuil it. does. It does. It does? It yeah, does. I don't know. Linda, my wife was like, she, she, she like, if I drink NyQuil, I only take it when I'm sick, but she like freaks out that I'm taking it. But it's a, it's, it's like a medic, it's like a medication for sick. It doesn't get you drunk or high. Or- I think it could get you drunk if you drank a lot. You drink a whole bottle. I bet you if you drank, I mean, I just get tired. I just pass out. I had a friend who he uh, had like 20 something years and he was a hardcore heroin addict and he went out on dextromorphine. So that was, and it was just huge bottles of Dayquil. That I would say, oh, that's a, that's a relapse. Because it would be like bottles and bottles and What's bottles. What's the effect of that? It's like a hallucinogen. Right. It's like DMT. Right. You know, where you're just like in a different reality. At the height of your fame, when was, would you say that the most, the height of your fame was? I don't know, because it's always been very fleeting. There's, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not, and I'm not super aware of it always either i don't really know i would say maybe in the 90s when i was doing my television show so like 94 to 95 that was the most coverage i would get i imagine but then 
at that time, it was so different because that was in, in like magazines and like newspapers. And so all of that is like, you, you, there's no record of it now. <laughs> so it's just people's vague memory of like, oh, this existed. And I know that I did do like David Letterman and Tonight Show and all of those sort of things, the markers of what famous, famous people do. Yeah. Yeah. Like Regis and Kathy Lee. Um, and I was dating famous people. Then, then I was like, oh, then there's a sense of there is a fame around me. When I was like with one of these guys, it was just like they were so famous that people would treat them like a god. And I was just kind of an uh, associate god. Like Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. People would, we would drive around Beverly Hills in his red convertible that um, was so well known and uh, pull up to a restaurant and people would just fall all over themselves. Or, you know, I would go to like an award show with him and it, you know, the, the biggest stars would make way for, for us. And with that a, was in the Reservoir Dogs Pulp Fiction yeah, period. The, the season right before uh, the Oscars for Pulp Fiction was like really crazy. So, I mean, their levels of fame, some other friends I've had, some other people I've known, their levels of fame have so out, outdone mine that it, I don't even recognize mine as being any kind of thing. Right, but I hear you. Were you sober then? No. So what was that? What is what is? But at that point, uh, point it was like just like the excitement of being around all this. Also, like the, there were elements of it where I couldn't really be drunk. And I I remember one time it was so embarrassing. It was for Billy Wilder, the famous director's birthday party, and it was a big event for the Directors Guild. So it was a party, and it was like Quentin and Billy Wilder and. Coppola and Scorsese oh and all God. those guys at a table and I'm trying to do comedy and Carl Reiner's behind me going, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> Just calm down. It's all right. It's going to be all right, kid. It's all right. You got it, kid. It's going to be good. You're going to be good, kid. You're going to be good. And, um, everybody's like, just staring. Nobody's laughing. Quentin's just like clapping his hands like <laughs> Hercules, Hercules. Come on. Let's give me a cake. I was so bad. And uh, it you was, were performing at I was that place? Performing at that place. Like, I would have to do these shows oh that God. were so scary. And I was just like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm really out of my element. And, um, you know, but everybody, everybody was just sort of like not sure what to do. I mean, I come from this time in Hollywood where we still had a connection to the old era. It was still like the golden era. So I would be doing shows with like Milton Berle, which is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> like what it's was so that funny. Like? What was he like? He was really, um, he was really funny because he he was just exactly what you think. You you know, he had this very splashy, glamorous showgirl wife who was much taller than him, who wore this big fur stole and all these diamonds, and you know, it felt like again being with this sort of like not even human presence. You know, so interesting. These old celebrities. Wow, you were so young when you mm -hmm. made it. Mm -hmm. And they were so old yeah. that the overlap is very real. Yeah. Now, give me a story about being a famous drug addict. Um, I think, well, not, not, this is not really where my fame would come into it, but I would, uh, I was working on a TV show in Atlanta and I would get wrapped like in the middle of the night. And then I would go and try to find my drug dealer in the most dangerous park in Atlanta at like two in the morning with in costume and hair still like my hair's done. 
I'm wearing the costume that I, I didn't even change out of the costume where I'm like this fancy lady and I have like heels on and a handbag and I'm going into the park at like two in the morning going, excuse me, have you seen a gentleman named PJ? <laughs> I mean, that's like the most delusional, like crazy stuff. Or like, you know, um, the drug dealers in Atlanta were funny because you would get uh, a text in the morning with kind of a, a, a menu of what they had for the day. And it would have all of these different sort of pills and, and uh, sometimes they would have a mushroom spectacular or an MDMA special and you would get some free molly if you bought this many things. And then... Uh, That's appealing to me just hearing you say it. Incredible, yeah. right? It was very expensive. But if you got on this list, you would just get the blast. It was like the daily menu. And then you would uh, go in and you would pay them and then you would... Uh, get like a sort of idea of like where they were going to be and they would drop your drugs off in a mailbox of like a rental house that was up for sale or a house that was up for sale and you would just go and you would pick open the mailbox and just take the drugs out and then leave and it was so reliable and uh, the drugs were always really good and uh it i i can't believe i didn't die from that but how convenient did you ever od I'm sure a million times, but I, I would just wake up in an ambulance, in the hospital, <laughs> whatever, and just walk out. Right. Like, I just wasn't going to hear it. I thought that if I left, I wouldn't have to pay, which is not true. You do have to pay. No, that's the worst part. They will find you. Um, this is our lightning round. Dope sick on the road. Oh, that was like a constant. You know, and I kept fantasizing that I could do the rapid detox like when you go in and they knock you out and they fill you up with naltrexone or something for like 48 hours. I feel like it's like three days or something. Did you ever do that? No, but I think it was like 10 grand or so something. So expensive. I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. I never did it. Did you ever, you ever, you never did the rapid opiate detox? I never did that, but I kept thinking, oh, I'll do that. Either that or I will go to Switzerland and commit suicide. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I'd go to Switzerland and get my blood transfused or go to Switzerland and get legal heroin. But no, it's yeah. Switzerland and suicide. Go get in the suicide machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. I see. I would have loved to have done legal heroin in Switzerland. Mm. I would have loved that. Mm -hmm. Or legal heroin in, in England. Right. With that dopey, the letter that he, who was talking about how. Mick Popham. Yeah. It's incredible. Like to just be prescribed pharmaceutical heroin. Well, it's a whole other thing. Now, when you were on the road and you'd get sick, did you, what were, like, how did you work it out? You would do a lot of, um, emodium. Is it emodium? It would be oh, like, Oh yeah, we talked about this. Yeah. And the emodium hits you in like a it, weird opiate style. It's supposed style. to block your opiate receptor. So you don't get dope sick, but you don't get high. So I would do like a whole bottle. And you shit your brains out. No, you don't. Oh, emodium is the constipation It's the constipation one. one. So it just blocks you up. Right. And you just kind of feel numb. Kratom was the one thing that if you did enough of it, you would stop being dope sick. So that's what I yearly would like kind of l learn to use is Kratom. Where would you get Kratom? I would get it from like, you know, if you were in a pinch, you would just go to a head shop, which you still do. Go and just get it, whatever. I'm much easier to get now. But uh, I would get it from like some mail order thing. You would just get it online easily. I look on Arrowhead. Arrowhead. Did you? Did you? Were you an Arrowhead person? Yeah, Arrowhead helped me a lot to sort of figure out like the dimensions or like the the uh, percentages of things and what you should do and so and how not to be dope sick. Yeah, Arrowhead helped tremendously. He's a great public resource. Chris was a huge Arrowhead person. 
Arrowhead um, is also a, a cursed thing too because it makes you want to try things like you're like so right, like of course oh adventurous and you know I have some uh, questions about two CB. I have some questions. Research chemicals. Yeah, I have some questions about anything that's sort of new. I realize it can't really, nothing's really that new though, you know? I never did any of those disassociatives. Mm -hmm. Like I, ne I never did PCP. Did you ever do PCP? No, I did uh, DMT once. I didn't like it. That was my big question, DMT. Yeah, I didn't like At it. At all of these weed stores, you can get mushrooms or you can get a DMT pen. Mm -hmm. Just like walk in and get one. Yeah. Why didn't you like it? It just was too much of a... Uh, it wasn't a reality enhancer. It was just a complete other dimension yeah, yeah, yeah. that I wasn't interested in being in. I don't really go Where for were it. you? I was with my two friends who were artists. They actually just did a huge installation, which is really beautiful, but they're very like visually oriented artists, really brilliant guys, and they were married at the time. And we each did DMT in weed. And uh, the first one that he went, and did it, he was like a descent into hell because he just screamed for about three minutes and then came out of it and was okay. And then the second one did it and he was kind of like in like a weird visual space and then came back, wasn't traumatic. And then I did it and they turned into huge flowers, like their heads, their necks became vines and they were like 30 feet tall and their, their heads were just huge blooms and they were trying to talk to me, but they were, the, the visual disconnect from reality was so intense and real that it was really alarming and it only lasted about four minutes see i really i always wanted to do dmt because i would read about the dead smoking dmt in san francisco mm -hmm. and i had never encountered it and and i think i was sober or, or nearly sober i was off of heroin and methadone and everything and i had a friend who was like i can get dmt and i was like i'm doing it i just knew i needed to try it and I took it and I had a, a hallucination staring at a painting. The painting danced. I was like, this mm. is amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I was done. And I was like, that was great. Yeah. Like it wasn't like the 10 hour ordeal of acid yeah. or something. But you didn't want that no. otherworldly thing. And I don't really like hallucinogens. If, if I'm like getting high, I want to go deeper inside. Relax. I don't want to. Yeah, I want to relax. I want to go to a place that's safe. As opposed to a place that's an adventure. And it's hard work. Hallucinogens are hard work. It's hard work. It's it's also just such a long-term commitment. So much time spent. And then it's the exhaustion after where you're, all of your senses are kind of shattered, which I don't like. I don't like that after Molly either or MDMA or ecstasy. Your senses are so shattered. Your serotonin's like spent. I don't like that. I hear you. I don't know. I, I like, I, I, I liked hallucinogens, but I, I, I remember when I stopped doing them, I wasn't anxious to ever do them. Yeah. And I think somebody offered me and I was just like, no. Not interesting to me. The self-analysis was too much for my mm. neuroses. Yeah. You know, I was yeah. too, too worried. Yeah, I don't want to do it. I mean, it's not what I get from drugs. Like, I know what I want from drugs. And if I'm going to do drugs, I'm going to get what I want. Like, right. Like, it's always that. Right. And, it's, and, and drugs can be such an amazing break relaxation until that thing becomes horror you didn't do too many uppers though you weren't a coke person no or anything. no um no stimulants just to lose weight i yeah. love what you say about weight you said it to me when we were hanging out last time too 
which is like, you're not fucking with diets. No. You're not like, when did you turn the corner on all that stuff? It's just like, for me, it's just not pleasing to always be worried about what I'm going to eat or when I'm going to eat. I'm just very open about it now, which now then when you're kind of like open about it, then like, because I know that too much sugar makes me tired. And so that's just not an option. But also if you don't drink alcohol, you're a lot better off. Like for me, I don't have to worry too much about it anymore. Well, but weight was a huge thing. So big. It was like the the beginning of your addiction. So big. But I think also like when I don't smoke pot, like I'm not interested in eating as much. And so it's like kind of regulates itself. I'm in a horrible gluttonous moment in my life. Like a weird gluttonous time. After DopeyCon... Like, I think I was worried about how fat I was going to be at DopeyCon. No. I was, yeah. But you're not fat at all. I, but it's, that's, that's that thing. It's that dysmorphic body thinking, whatever. Yeah. Like this idea of what I want to be or what I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And now I swear to God, I eat food like at, like since Halloween. Mm-hmm. Halloween has been a problem. Well, I do love candy, but I know that if I have too much, then it'll just make me more hungry. I need to get it together, Margaret. I'm I'm about to do this app called Couch to 5K. Oh, uh-huh. That's the new Dopey Fitness Challenge. Oh. Couch to 5K. Are you interested? Okay. You're interested? I'm doing, well, I do do a lot of exercise with my animals, too. What do you so, do? Well, we go on a couple of hour walks every day. You and Lucia? Yeah. She and walks. Then, she can keep up? She can keep up. Nice. And then I have a lot of playing with my cats and they are really, I, they, I need to vigorously kind of run around with them all day. So So you're not interested in couch to 5K? Well, I may, I mean, what? I'll do whatever. Couch to 5K. We start on the couch. I mean, I did day one. I haven't done day two yet. And day uh-huh. one I did last week. So I need to start over okay. tomorrow. Couch to 5K. First day, it's a 25-minute thing. Five minutes of walking, a minute of running. A minute Mm. and a half of walking, a minute of running. Six minutes of running over the course of 25 minutes spread out. Okay. And I think over the course of getting closer to the 5K, you run more as you get used to it. Oh, I see. And then like Trey Anastasio from Fish has this place in Vermont called Divided Sky, this rehab whatever they're Mm -hmm. doing a 5k Mm -hmm. in may nice and i'm going to be 50 in june Mm. so my goal is to be very fit for 50 oh nice the most fit that's a good idea that's never gonna happen. you're fit though i'm not as fit as i'd like to be well it's a fantasy but thank you i appreciate you saying i think you look good thank you i I wouldn't worry i don't i wouldn't worry about it well i won't worry about them that's that's nice um real quick what's the difference between your recovery in your 20s and your recovery now Oh, gosh. Um, Well, now I'm hoping it's for life, but I also know that could change any time. And I take it way more seriously now. You're into it. Yeah, I'm into it, but I also don't let things bother me. Like if I'm eating too much, if I'm shopping too much, if I'm in a weird situationship with somebody, you know, like I don't let that other stuff make me freak out as much like i'm allowing myself to do dumb things like i really am addicted to my phone me too i'm so So what does that look like well like i'm on my phone all the time and i'll like not text or email people back just so that i will make up this illusion like i have a life outside my phone (laughs) like i will very 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 like when i'm lying about something 
like even in that lie of like, I'm not going to text you back for like 10 minutes so that I'm going to make you think that I'm actually not looking at my phone all the That's time. That's funny. You know, like that to me is you're fucking addicted. Like it's like lying to disguise my behavior around it. So what do you want to do about it? I'm not doing anything because I'm like, Fuck if, it. If, this is, if this is the problem, this is the problem. Then it's fine. Because I like to look at TikTok. I like to look at TikTok. What do you look at at TikTok? I like to look at things that people are buying. I like to look at shoes. I like to look at food they're making. I just like to look at just dumb stuff. And, uh, it's so addictive. It's so addictive. But I'm like, you know, if this is what I'm addicted to, that's fine. Harm reduction. It's harm reduction, and there's some good things that I can learn. Um, and there's funny people on there, and it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's acceptance. Acceptance yeah. is the key to all of our problems. It's true. And it's also like, to me, I was really addicted this week looking at all the stuff about Matthew Perry mm. and Did all you know that him? stuff. I didn't know him. I know a lot of people who did know him very, very well. And um, I'd never seen him around. I, he was a little bit around my group of friends in the 90s. But I, I'd, I'd not really experienced anything around him late, like lately or in the interim. So what did you what did you come across about him? Just a lot of like kind of excerpts from his book. And then I was listening to his, I listened to his book, which I, I liked. Did he on read it? Yeah, I liked it on audio. Uh, audible because you could hear him tell a story he's a very funny guy but it's so that is so peak me is to write a book about my addiction and how how i'm over it and then die <laughs> like that's so pe- i mean i'm not saying that he died of that but that's so what i would do is write a book all about it and i do a huge tour about how everything you know everything i've been through and then just fucking keel over right after after you've been cured yeah but that that's like to me, it's like I was like really scared, you know, like looking at all that and thinking like, well, you can, you you know, get through it. But at the same time, you still have to pay for all the damage you, you, you've, you've incurred. Everything that you, all the damages, it's collateral. Yeah, I don't know like what, I don't know him. Mm. I, I didn't even watch Friends. Like I don't know anything. I was very, very bitter that he died and didn't come on Dopey. Like, he should have come on Dopey. I he, know. The book is so perfect. I dopey. I think it could have saved his life. I think. <laughs> yeah, I, you're right. I mean, the the fact is, is that what he had, he had everything. He had talent, money, fame, success. He was a handsome guy. He was charming. He had everything you would want. And still, still it wasn't, wasn't enough. enough. Wasn't enough. Like, that's the thing. It's like, if we ever get too comfortable... Mm-hmm. It's like, how easy is it for us to just be gone? Right. But also to remember that it's a disease and we don't know how, how hard it is for others. Like we can't, we know how hard it is for ourselves, but we can't say like somebody else might have it worse. Like he may have had the disease worse than other people. So you just, you, you can't say, I don't know. When I look at that and I don't, I, I never even use the word disease, but whatever. It's like, it's a word. It's like I always say the same thing, which I now I can't even believe it's what I say, which is you just need to work harder. <laughs> you, just, you just need to do more. But yeah, he was to me, he was just so celebrated and he had everything to live for. So it's just very sad. Well, it was especially sad because he was celebrated for his recovery yeah. and dead within the same year. But it's also like that's why we should never. Um, it's why it's anonymous. That's we should never talk about. So is this, do you think this is an issue? Is dopey an issue around no, that? No, I think it's, I don't, I don't think so. I think for me, it always helps to talk about it, 
but I try not to say the the initials. No, yeah, right, right, right. I try, I, I try, yeah, I try not to say specifically, but it's helped me tremendously. But I also know, like, that could be different tomorrow. What's your schedule like with attendance? Oh, it's constant. Like, it's how do you, you Zoom? All the time and in person, both. But it's constant. It's every every day, a couple times a day. But when you're on the road, oh, do, Zoom. You, do, you, Constantly. do you always Zoom? Always Zoom on the road. Um, you never look for like a strange room? I have. To, I do too, sometimes. Any cool adventures? Um, really good in Bali. Really great like expatriates, people who like just live there all the time. Really, really cool. Amazing in Dublin. You want to cry because it's so beautiful and everybody's just so warm. And I like England too. I like London. It's very cool because it's like really like people are just amazing and it's just a very different vibe but similar to LA LA is very inviting and warm and very big and so I I just really yeah I like going physically when I'm there um and then I have a lot of different clubhouses that I'm physically a prominent member of but also I end up speaking a lot too so that helps yeah someone just told me they just saw you speak last week yeah I do that a lot you were great yeah it's fun you ever go to meetings here Uh uh-huh yeah, I do uh, a lot here. If I'm here for a little bit, like, well, my schedule's a little freer here, mostly, like, down on Perry Street. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I talk about Dopey a lot, too. No way. In shares. Nice. Yeah, I always say, oh, you should listen. This is, like, the, the brand of recovery that I'm talking about. Even if it's just, like, harm reduction, so great. So I always say, oh, you should try to listen to this or, or watch um, documentaries like A Life in Crime on... HBO Max. Have you seen it? No. Life and Crime. It follows these New York uh, heroin addicts from 1984 to 2022. I got to see it. It's unbelievable. It's good. It's unbelievable. It's three movies. It's, it's unbelievable. It, it's available now. I can see it's it. It's on Max now. And before you go, because I don't want you to go, but you have to go. I must go. I'm not ending this. You have to go. Uh, I want to thank you for coming to my dad's. I love it. I got to meet Alan. Yeah, it was very sweet. I want to thank you for the song. Oh, thank the you. The fucking song is so beautiful. Thank you. So connected. Thank you. We will play the song on this show. Nice. So excited about that. And um, I love you. I'm so happy I you love came. you. I'm so glad. Right. We got to do this. I'll, I'm looking forward to coming back again. Again. And again what I'll see and you again. and I'll see you next year at the Song Summit. We're going to do that together. Did is did they reach out? We're going to figure it out, I guess. We'll see. Song Summit and DopeyCon. Do you like DopeyCon 5 or DopeyCon V? I like both. We'll do both. I like both. We'll do both. Yeah. This, Ivy was the best. Ivy was the best. I cannot wait to see you again. I already, I already want to figure out next time you can come on the show. I'll come back again and again. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. So I am extremely grateful to do this show every week. When I go to meetings, I always say, hello, my name is David. I'm an alcoholic and I'm extremely grateful to be here and be sober. And um, I know that if I heard me saying that, I'd be like, this dude is fucking annoying. But I do it because back in the day, my shares would often just be complaining and I would never, I'd forget to say I was grateful. So I decided if I open with gratitude, then I can complain for the rest of the share with impunity. But the truth is I'm super grateful. (laughs) I really am. I love my recovery. I'm so glad I'm not using, and I'm so glad that I still make the show, even with all of the trials and tribulations. 
which obviously we've been through a ton. I'm grateful to Chris and Todd and Bill Blaber and, and all the dopes we've lost. Katie B., one of you know my favorite dopes, who's an incredible contributor, she helps run our dopey Patreon Zoom once a month, and it's coming up. She recently lost her ex, who's the father of her daughter, and uh, he was found dead in a really precarious situation with paraphernalia on him. And it could happen to any of us at any time. And my heart goes out to Katie and her family, and my heart goes out to everybody who's suffered loss. And again, if you're using and you don't want to use or you're considering not using, email Dopey, email a friend, call a friend. And if you're in recovery and you're like at the end of your rope, pick up the phone and call a friend, call somebody who's recovering because we want to be called. It helps us. It helps our brain to be of service. It's a whole thing. Here's some more uh, Dopey gratitude from new friends and old. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dopey Nation. It's Mick here. Just wishing everybody out there a happy Thanksgiving. And we don't celebrate Thanksgiving in uh, the UK or New Zealand for that matter. I'm thinking quite seriously about getting myself a big bastard of a turkey, cooking it up, sitting there, feeding my face and listening to some dopey and sending random messages to all my American friends out there. <laughs> it sounds like a pretty good way to spend the day. Thank you, Dave, for everything you do. Thank you to all my friends in the Dobie Nation. Please, everyone, stay safe, stay well. Happy Thanksgiving. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. And fucking toodles for Chris. Hey, what's up, Dopey Nation? John Joseph here. And what I'm thankful for this Thanksgiving is all my people in the recovery community. That's what's up. Happy holidays. What's up, Dopey Nation? This is Chris Bellina from the Phoenix wishing you guys a super happy Thanksgiving. Stay strong and fucking toodles for Chris. Hey guys, it's Dopey Drez wishing you all a happy, happy Thanksgiving. Um, what am I grateful for? I think I'm grateful for my friends because both my parents, my cat died this year. And when everyone's fucking dead, your friends become your chosen family. And they've really supported me through, you know, my surgery, having a battery put in my chest for my epilepsy and all this goddamn shit. If you want to hear about it, bug Dave to have me on. Sorry, Miss Dopey Con. And um, I'm grateful I stayed sober through all this shit, too. It wasn't easy, but I did it. I did smoke two cigarettes, though. But anyway, um, toodles for Chris, and I love you guys, and uh, stay safe. Amy's voice sounds amazing. And just so we're clear, I want Amy on the show more than anything. I'm just done doing shows on the phone. I don't want to do shows on the phone. I wanted Amy to come to DopeyCon IV. I offered to fly her in, put her up, do the whole thing. It didn't work out. I'm going to get to L.A. soon, and Amy will get back on the show, or she'll get to New York, and Amy will get back on the show. And, of course, thank you, John Joseph, Chris Spelina, and the great Mick Popham. I want to end this show with some of Bill, some of Bill Blaber's greatest hits. 
If you want to support the show, if you're a crazy dopey fan and you want more dopey or you feel like you get so much dopey for free that you just want to support the show, go to www.patreon.com slash dopey podcast. There's going to be a bunch of bonus Bill Blaber available there. But also, I totally forgot to uh, mention all of our merch is on sale till the end of the year. You can get half price on a ton of shit, 20% off on a ton of shit. Go to dopeypodcast.com. So I don't know, like... We lost Bill Blaber, and I want to play a big chunk of one of his appearances on the show. And in this appearance, he will reference the great Ray Brown. He is on the episode I played is from Dopey 208, which was the episode right before the first DopeyCon, and Jack Osborne was on that show with him. So let's go back in time to Dopey 208, Jack Osborne, The Road to DopeyCon, and of course, the late, great Bill Blaber. It's an extended look back, and me and Bill were at my dad's house. He reads an email, and we uh, he tells a dopey story, and we just kick it old school. So this is me and Bill. Let's see. You know what I want to talk about? While I, before I came over, I went up to the event space on the third floor where DopeyCon's going to be. And stop me right now if you don't want me talking about this. Yeah, why but not? They're preparing the space. Yes. And this is called the road to DopeyCon. This is very There apartment. are a lot of you know, images and photographs. And um, I turned around, and on the back-facing wall is this huge poster um, memorializing Chris and Todd. Yeah. And so, like, one half is Chris and one half is Todd. And I was just staring at this, and I was looking for you. I didn't realize what it was. And then on top it says, in remembrance of. And they're, it's so big. And there's all these pictures of Chris and of Todd. And so I started crying. <laughs> I just, it was just so emotional because I knew Chris. You know, I didn't know Todd. I've heard Todd. But um, When did you, um, when was the last time you saw Chris in person? Uh, the last time I saw Chris would have been 2016. 2016, he came down. I don't know why he was here in New York, but he came down to Brooklyn and he came to the place he used to manage, the right. Sober Living, and I was still there. And um, we checked in with each other. I think he, I think he came down to visit. He, I think he had a girlfriend. Didn't he still have a girlfriend in that area? Christina. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's why he came down and he stopped by and we hung out like all afternoon. Yeah. He was there for a long time, actually. You know, he knew a lot of the people who worked there. Um, and so, like, they hadn't seen him in a while. And everybody loved Chris. You know, yeah. even, you know, after he left, you know, no one wanted Chris to leave. That When I started that job there, I, I had these big shoes to fill. You, you know? took his job, right? I took Chris's job, yeah. And it's funny because it was Joe Schrank who, who, who was his boss, and he said to me, you know, Chris didn't have to leave. Right. You know, <laughs> Joe would have right. kept him there. Here, can you read it off the screen? Yeah, sure. Hold on. Did you listen to the Appalachian episode or no? No, not yet. All right, well, this is... I've been too busy getting ready for Dopey. Okay. Okay. Hey, Dave. I've been, I've been a fan of the show around a year now. Couldn't listen for a while as I got locked up in June until a few days ago. As it happens, I turned back in this morning... Oh, I'm sorry. I tuned back in this morning to hear Ray explaining his routine. While working as a chef in Georgia... Money started to run low. Now, how you have to understand that Ray's routine, because you didn't listen to it, but Ray's routine is that he he washes his clothes on his body in the shower. 
That's how he does his laundry. Wow. Okay. Um, Does that disgust you? No. Okay. No, if you know, really. There's stories I could tell you, which I don't don't think I could ever tell on here. Um, So Ray explaining his routine. While working as a chef in Georgia, money started to run low from moving to a new city. My truck began breaking down and whatever else at that time. For three months, I hopped in the shower, lathered up my chef's coat and clothes, rinsed, stripped, plugged up the bath, washed again, kicked the clothes around, jumped out, and waited 45 minutes to wring them out and hang dry. Provided you aren't sweating much, it's doable, but after a certain point, they should find their way to a machine for sure. It was an enjoyable experience, though. Steam out the room, get ripped, and listen to an album. Never occurred to me as strange. From an international perspective, plenty of cultures might consider that a laundromat, worth trading their sister for. (laughs) You've done well with translating the humor aspect of the lifestyle to the inexperienced and maintaining the show's momentum through everything. Not saying it doesn't blow sometimes, but in the future... Wait, did he just just say the show blows sometimes? (laughs) No, he says, not saying it doesn't blow sometimes, but in the future... Oh, yeah, he did. He did say the show blows sometimes. Uh But in the future, I believe it will gain much more widespread value. Anyways, take a vacation, and I'll abscond to fill in. Jamie Lee Curtis was annoying as fuck. Fuck the police. And then, can I say his name? Maybe just his first name. Robert. I, I just like that he says that he, he's crazy. That's a classic, classic dopey fan right there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Robert. Um, he just wants to take over the show is what it is. That's why he says the show blows sometimes. Do you hear from him a lot or just this? That's the first time. Oh, that's right. He just got out of prison. That is the first. That's that what he said? Yeah. He yeah. got out uh, a couple of days ago. Now, you said you had a dopey story pre- prepared for DopeyCon, and you have another one. Uh, which one would you like to tell? Well, the one I was going to tell tomorrow, um, I thought you were going to be sitting next to me, and I, you know, I, the banter back and forth. I don't know now. There's going to be no banter. No banter. Mm, I don't know. I love the banter. The banter would be 10 minutes before you even started the story. That's true. Okay. Um, I'm not going to tell that story right now, though. I think I'll tell that story tomorrow. Save it. <laughs> Everyone from Mountainside is going to run for the hills, though. Um, so, uh, listen, so the story I could tell Because today. it's a fucked up story and they're going to be like, who are we working with kind of thing? Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. But they, I mean, like, they heard the water tower story. You think that's tamer because it's funny? That's more tame, yeah. So, like, okay, let's hear, let's hear some fucked up shit. Um, Jack Osborne wasn't particularly dopey. He was, a, it was a nice time, but he wasn't talking about shooting meth or anything. I don't know. Maybe the, the story I was going to tell you right now, it's a little bit funny. Maybe I should save that story for tomorrow. Well, pick one. How long do I have right now? I don't know. Okay. Let's, um, yeah, let me, you know, because more people will hear this story than tomorrow. So let me tell this story. No, but you have to understand. Oh, you're recording. Right. Okay, then, yeah, I'll save that for tomorrow. Um, Everybody will hear DopeyCon next week. Right. Everyone will hear this tonight. Okay. Which is amazing. Wow. When the show is released, the night of the show, I just love that. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so the year was 2008. Okay. Okay. The, well, it was a tough year for me, but continue. Oh, okay. Well, it's a big election. Remember, this is when Obama was running. Yeah, I wasn't paying um, attention. I think my mother died uh, that year. Oh. And, uh, and I tried to get clean, 
And uh, it was a big year. I moved back to New York from California. Maybe I should tell a different story. No, tell the story. Okay. So um, the night, actually, fast forward a little bit, election night, um, November of 2008, um, I didn't vote. I was living in Atlanta at the time, and I was laid out on my couch, high out of my mind, and I heard people running down the hallway of my apartment building, Obama won, Obama won. So that's how I found out he won the election. But um, a couple of months before, when he was on the campaign trail, um, I was shocked he won. Were you really? Yeah, I was shocked. But okay. anyway, continue. Um, I was so happy that he won, although I didn't vote for him. Um, anyway, you know, I had the opportunity. So listen, I had the opportunity to meet Obama when he was running for president. And I was not in a good place in my life. So one night I was hanging out with him, and he was in Atlanta, and he came over to my place and we were just chatting uh, about anything. You know, like when you're high, or I should say when I was high, like I would talk about anything. I'm sure we talked about Madonna. Um, I'm sure we talked about... about Kabbalah? No, no, this is before. This is for... Oh, very good. You said it right. Disgusting. <laughs> That's like the most disgusting thing I've ever said is Kabbalah. Kabbalah. Anyway. Um, but, you know, it was just me and him, and we were chatting. And, you know, I, I don't remember what we were talking about, but we were talking about a lot of stuff. And he was, here for, he was there for a really long time. Um, and then eventually Michelle came by, and we were talking, and, you know, we were just hanging out in my living room right there in the heart of it. Why Atlanta. was he in your house? Hold on. Let me tell the story. Did he want to... He was, he was looking for... Anyway, continue. Yeah, tell okay, me. so you don't think this is a big deal? I've just told you that like Obama was. But weren't you like a fucking meth addict junkie? I was, but I, you know, I, why was he in your house? Because so. <laughs> he was just he he was out there. So you got to remember, he was, he was out pressing the, the junkie flesh. He was out there on the campaign trail, trying to be like one of us. You remember, he'd always take his jacket off, roll up his sleeves. Um, yeah, and, I, I, I didn't. Pay, I don't pay attention to stuff. But anyway, continue. Please. Anyway, Michelle came over. Uh-huh. Okay, and so she's there. We're hanging out, and like this is in my apartment, beautiful studio apartment. Why is he in your apartment? Because we're chatting. I don't even really remember how. Did you we, live alone? I did. I lived alone, right why, in Midtown you, are, Atlanta. You really, are you, is that the, 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 the reveal of the story is why he's there? Yes. Okay, continue. <laughs> You're ruining it. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, fast forward. Then, like, his daughters. I can't remember his daughter's Melania. name. No, no that's... Malawi. <laughs> Isn't his daughter... What's his name? Not Malawi. Malaya? No. Malaya? Malaya? Something like that. Anyway, whatever her name is. So... I heard she got busted smoking weed in the White House. Yeah, she did. Yeah. yeah. Um, she... Uh, yeah, she did. Anyway, I can't remember their names either. Um, eventually, we were all in Atlanta. The whole family had gathered. And... I'm talking about, like, we were there for hours, okay, like, sitting in my living room. Um, of course, I had, like, my big velvet curtains pulled and drawn because of the light, because I wasn't using while we were all hanging out talking, but I had used, like, before they came, and, like... And I, by use, you meant sh- inject meth. Yeah, shooting up so meth. So you're injecting meth before the Obama Before the Obamas comes. got yeah, there, okay, uh-huh. and we're sitting there, we're talking, and... We got hungry. Like, we hadn't eaten. Like, we were just sitting there for a long, you know, I'm not, I'm not kidding, like, for maybe about eight to ten hours, a really long time. Was there a camera crew? There was no camera crew, but, um, you know, we'd have beverages, but we That's insane. We like, why are anything. they at your house for fucking eight to ten hours? So, anyway, I lived off, of, in those days, when I was shooting a meth, all I lived on was frozen green grapes and Canada dry ginger ale. Why frozen grapes? I don't know. There was I would go to the grocery store across the street with my sunglasses on and I would buy packages and packages, you know, bundles, of bundles of grapes. And I take them home <laughs> and I would put them in the free I'd wrap them in paper towel uh-huh. and I put them in the freezer. Okay. So that's what I ate. It was like that was my sustenance. But for a wouldn't really long it be time. like 
First of all, doesn't that kill the texture of the of the grape? Oh, not, have you ever bitten into a frozen green grape? Obviously not, but it seems to me it would be kind of like mealy and hard. No, they're like little icicles of grapes. Like it's like it's like a grape ice cube. It's not, like if you leave, but it's it, not going to crunch like an ice cube crunches. It's gonna it's gonna be pulpy, and it's not gonna it's not gonna be a clean break. It's slushy, you know. It's a little slushy. Sort of. Do like, you still eat them, or does it totally take you back to the meth? No, it's a, I don't eat them today, but they were a big part of my early recovery because that's that's what I knew. Um, they also, I think, a lot of it was like. But why don't you eat them today? <laughs> I don't know. I think I might actually buy up some green grapes in my refrigerator right now. Maybe I'll freeze them tonight. Anyway, <laughs> what would be cool in a, in some sort of mocktail is a frozen green grape as the ice cube. Totally. You know? I bet you that I bet you that's a thing. Maybe. Anyway, Obama's in the house. Frozen green grapes in the freezer. Right. Michelle's there too. Yes. Yeah, so the okay. kid, Melania. Anyway, starving. And uh-huh. I had, um, for some reason, because like I just said, I was really living off of frozen green grapes, but I had um, chicken cordon bleu in the refrigerator. Yes. And I had, you know, pre- all pre-prepared, you know, that I got in like, you know, the, the refrigerator section uh, at the butcher shop. And I was like, would you guys like some chicken? And so they were like, yeah. I was like, okay, awesome. So I had one of those kitchens um, that overlooks the living room, right? Like, you know, the there was no wall. You could stand in the kitchen and cook and prepare food and um, still talk to everybody who was sitting around. And so I went into the kitchen and I got everything out and we're still chatting. I'm in the kitchen and they're all sitting in my living room and he's smirking at me. Well, it's like, <laughs> come on, I want to hear what happened. Okay. So, um, I pull everything out and, you know, I had this obsession with pepper, you know, like salt and pepper peppers. Do you know how many different types of pepper there are, that there is out there? No. So I would always, whenever I would go buy green grapes and chicken, I would get a different flavor of pepper. So I asked them, they must have thought I was crazy, like, what sort of pepper would you like me to put on the chicken cordon bleu? Well, they're there eight hours. You're high on meth eating frozen grapes. I mean, it's like, I'm sure, I bet you Obama's telling this story right now to somebody. Barack. And. So I doubt it. Wouldn't that be funny? Um, that would be crazy. So anyway, they look at me like I'm crazy, and I was like, "Well, they must think I'm crazy." So I'm just gonna like shut up, and I'm gonna go ahead and prepare the prepare the meal. So I'm getting like you know the butter out and the chicken out. I'm unwrapping it, and I get out the the cooking the cookware, and I wasn't sure how I was gonna cook it. I wasn't sure if I was gonna like broil it or bake it. Uh-huh. Okay, so like I, bent, I you know I bent down to the cabinet to get um to get the cookware, and I come up, and nobody's there. There's nobody in my living room. Oh, my God. And that was probably the most awakening. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice right now. Yeah. But I can, like, to this day, like, right now sitting here with you, the shock that there was no one there. It's terrifying, huh? Because... I mean, I'm telling you, I was there for eight to ten hours, and I was serving them beverages. So I looked at the coffee table. There were glasses on the coffee table, and I had out, like, multiple, like, dishes. I brought out more than one piece of chicken because there were a bunch of us. Like, Michelle was there. Barack was there. His two girls were there. And I, you know, I was, you know, not only was I sitting there, like, but I was conversing back and forth. And so, like... Could you imagine if there was a video camera back then and played this back to me? Right, right. And and how common is that to have that kind of a, a hallucination slash psychic, psychosis moment like that? I had one other crazy um, 
experience that um, I went to the hospital for, and the psychiatrist told me I had a psychotic break. Um, this is when I was living in New Jersey, and this is before I moved to Atlanta. And um, I saw a whole crew of military um, guys chasing after me with machine guns and like army gear, like the big helmets and the green, um, the green you know uniforms, and like chasing at me. Um, and my head popped. It was like a rubber band popped because I was so scared. They were literally literally rushing me, and my head popped right as they were probably about ten feet in front of me. And that wasn't happening either. And how did you realize that that wasn't happening? Because when it popped, they disappeared. So how often, you know, like. I used to do math. And Wait a I used second. To, so did you, when I, gave, when I revealed at the end, like, what did you think? That's incredibly disappointing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was thinking maybe Obama was, like, at a, at a treatment thing, and he was seeing the old, the old uh, crystal meth injector. No, it's scary. It's, I'm thinking two things. One, disappointment. I mean, there's more details to the story, but I don't want to no, bore you. I'm not disappointed in the story. I'm disappointed that it was a hallucination as opposed to why Obama was there. But then I got scared. You know, at first it's like, oh, that's a letdown that he wasn't really there. But then it's really scary because I could hear it in your voice that yeah, you're scared. It was scary. It's it's very scary. And like, no matter what... I don't tell that story to a lot of people today because it, it is. It's emotional. It was very emotional. Like, I mean, it's like I bent over, like we're sitting at a table right now. It's like I bent down to the table and I look up and if you weren't sitting across from me, it was that real. It's terrifying. It, it's like, it's like uh, a mental illness. It's like... It's very cinematic, too, because that's something that happens in movies where somebody doesn't know what's happening, and right. then all of a sudden, it never even happened. Right. But, you know, in my experience, like, I've, I've had, you know, I had, like, I don't know, 10 months or 11 months on math or something, and I never hallucinated, um, and I never had, like, marathon meth sex. Like, I missed out on a lot of... And we could talk about that some a, a lot time. of A lot of the good, uh, good and bad of meth. But when you hear lore about it, you hear about the bugs... And you hear about picking. Right. Uh, you rarely hear about total fucking hallucination uh, psychosis. It's it's a different form of psychosis, right? It is. Yeah, Do you totally. hear about that kind of stuff a lot, or, or this is very in particular? And also, you probably had a real thing for Obama. You know, I don't. It, it was just. Yeah, you're right. You turned on the television, and all you did was see Obama on the television, and you know, from rally to rally, and you know how it is. It's. I mean, it wasn't as bad as today. You can't turn on the TV. I mean, the election's still over a year away, and like all you do is turn on CNN right now, and you see them all. Um, well, Bush is a. I mean, sorry, Trump is a very. Uh, but not just Trump, like all the Democratic candidates running, like every well, time but you it's, turn it's, on the TV. It, the story is like you have this guy, and then you have these these guys trying to beat this guy. You know that's the story. Trump is great for American television. I mean, he's like he's like a wrestler. Here, here's the here's the thing you might appreciate. So I've told this story before, okay? Like at a meeting when I'm qualifying and sharing my story, but I never told anyone it was Obama. I just say that I was in the living room with people because I'm because people, <laughs> would, it's, people it's, would laugh at me. Well, I think that's it's it's a great detail of the story. But so this is the first time I'm sharing really? that detail. I swear to you, I'm not even a friend. Like my best friend. Why didn't you tell them? Because you were just too humiliated. So to humiliating. Think- <laughs> and like it's all. I feel a little humiliated sitting here with you, you right should. now. Because you should. I can see your face. The listeners can't see your face. Like you're looking at me. Like what? Like you don't believe me. And well, no, 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 no. It, it's more like. Um, like I'm a very literal person, so I want to know why Obama, why Obama is there, why Obama is there, and also like, I don't know. I think when you reveal that he's not there, I I really did get scared. You know, it's like that, and that's also like addiction. It's like the scariest shit that you don't think 
it's actually happening and then it is happening, whatever the case may be. Right. If you lost your house, if you fucking lost your family, if you lost your job, if you're OD'd in the street and it's and you, you can't believe that's real. And in this case, it's an actual thing. It was like wake it was it was like waking up from a dream. You know, you wake up sometimes in the morning and you're like, Oh, that was just a dream. That's right. what happened, except I was wide awake. When I was a kid, and I was not on meth, I was a kid, and I was in summer camp, okay? And, uh, and I, I was a very scared kid, and I was in summer camp, and I remember one night, I wake up in the middle of the night, okay, and I see a bunch of kids on the ground, and what it looked like was a kid was sleeping, and then the kids around him were wrapping him with toilet paper, which was a thing at the stupid summer camp with these dicks from Long Island. And um, so I get out of bed, and I creep over, and I said... Who are you getting? And they didn't answer. And I said, who are you getting? And they didn't answer. And I reached to touch the guy, and my hand went through the guy. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I got scared, and I got in bed. And, and, and to this day, you know, it's a very scary story. It was probably a dream. Maybe it was the ghost of fucking Christmas past, whatever. Um, so but, do you want me? I mean, there's more to the story. What else is there? So Obama left. Okay. <laughs> but Obama disappeared. I was in shock. So I continued to make the chicken and I made the chicken. I don't think I ate the chicken, though, because I didn't have an appetite. But so I laid down on my couch and sort of blown away that he wasn't there. Um, I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. So I lit some candles. This I remember. And um, I'm a big candle guy. Um, so I lit some candles and I was laying there. And, um, you know, I shot up crystal meth again because like, what are you going to do when you really that Obama's not in your apartment. Um, you gotta get high. Best way to cope with that yeah. is to get high. Yeah. So I got high, and then the voices started. Not no um, hallucinations, but I started to hear voices calling me out into the hallway of my apartment building. This is a very scary story. So in Atlanta, like there was, you know, basically my apartment building was like a city block, and they had these hallways. What are they called? Like these? Not they weren't outdoor hallways, but um, you know, like they're indoors. These hallways, and they wrap around the building. So these voices were calling me outside. So I was scared because of what happened a little bit earlier. But I got up and I had very little clothes on. And I went to the door, but the voices were scary. I couldn't see them. And they were saying, come out, come out. And so this is post-AOL water tower story. Right. Okay? So my my addiction got darker and darker. So I was always out there looking for Satan. And I'm always afraid to tell people that. But I was out there looking for some dark force, which I identified as like... And it was calling you. Yeah, and so it was it, calling me. Yeah. So I went out into the hallway, and it was late. It was but really late But that's also, like we talked about the last time, it's a meth thing. It's a black magic thing. Yes. It's, like, it's like once, you know, if you're an addict and things flip... You know what I mean? You're not just like fucking around and you're no. full on. No. The devil is there. Right. You know, it's not right. it's not as crazy. Well, they call meth the devil's drug. Yeah. Well, anyway. So, um I went out there and it was, you know, it was spring or summer because it wasn't cold outside. And so I've all got all these candles burning in my apartment, okay? And I walk out and I start traveling down the hallway looking for whoever's calling me. Um and then I realized that it was Satan calling me. And I was like, "Okay, well, I wonder what he wants. Wonder what he wants. Maybe he wants some frozen grapes. And he's probably looking for me. So when I see him, I get you know I have to like offer Bill, myself. Bill, do you have chicken cordon bleu and grapes that are frozen? Exactly. And so what do you do when Satan's looking for you and you can hear his voice? You strip. So I took all my clothes. You off. were interested in Satan. I was. You were not scared. You liked Satan. You so liked maybe one you know maybe one day not today I can share with you the very first time I shot up and the very first time I shot up meth was. 
was around these guys who worship Satan. So I believe that, you know, when you get high like that for the very first time, um, that was the best it was a, ever was, right? The first time I got shot up, I fell to the floor and I, and I finally, and I said out loud to the guy who shot me up, I finally get it. And I said, I just want to be a junkie. Like I said, this is all I want for me. And yeah. those are the words I said. I actually, I, I finally get it. I just want to be a junkie. Isn't it so funny though? Like, I, I had something similar happen to me, but it's like you equate that with the Bill W. I have arrived. And yeah. do you think like Bill W. and, and Dr. Bob were thinking that were, could compare it to the, the some guy getting shot up with crystal meth and decides I have arrived? Like it's just so funny that it's the same thing. Right. And um, so the, my first experience doing it that way was with these guys who were actually pretty dangerous and uh, one of them's dead now. And so I think that if that's the way you enter that sort of world, that that's always going to sort of haunt you because after I shot up with those them you know years earlier I was always looking for that you know so like they say we're always searching for that initial high so I was always searching for like the the feeling that I had in that moment and so I think that's one of the reasons why my use got really dark and I found and here's the crazy thing like you know you hear me saying oh I'm looking for Satan I'm looking for Satan there are guys out there who like actually worship and like practice that sort of stuff right you know thank God I never really ran into any of them who were too serious about it I got out of it Atlanta and came back to New York to get sober, probably just in the nick of time. But so anyway, I'm walking down the hallway looking for him, and uh, I strip. I take all my clothes off, thinking that's what he wanted to see. Well, because if I'm gonna, if he's gonna find me and I'm gonna present him to me, I present myself to him, and he's finally gonna take the dark me. lord. Right, and the dark lord, lord is right, exactly, gonna finally say, "I found you. You are mine. Come with me." This is a terrifying story, now, by the way. Um, I'm so I'm you know I'm in my hallway of the you know not even near my front door of my apartment, like around the other side of the building, and I'm like, well, where where does where does uh, Satan live? Like down in hell, right? So I was like, I got to get all the way downstairs. So I went all the way downstairs naked and I left my clothes on the floor of whatever floor I was on. So it's probably like a tank top and like short shorts. Um, and I had the same boots on that I had in the water tower. I had these big black boots. They went everywhere with me. And I get down to the, the first so level. So you're naked in these I'm boots. Naked in these boots. Yes. And uh, get to the bottom floor and then I walked all the way to the end of the hall. Like I'm trying to get as far away from like uh, reality as possible. And then I lay down on the floor butt naked, screaming at the top of my lungs for, like, Satan to come find me. God, I think I'm going to get fired after telling this story. <laughs> it's possible. Anyway, continue. And uh, Anna, I please, think that, Anna, I think turn it off. A, I think it's against the law to fire you for, for telling your story. Anna, turn it off right now. You work in a drug treatment. I mean, it's like, it's good. They'll be like, well, Bill can really relate to the really fucking crazy ones. I can. I was talking to somebody today on the phone who's a, a, you know, a client up in Canaan and didn't know that he had did meth, and uh, he was sharing some stories. It was crazy. And, um, but I could relate. I could totally relate. No shit. So you're naked in the basement, so naked screaming in the basement, for the Dark Lord to the take dark you. Lord. And I never really considered that maybe the building had cameras. Right. So well, why would you? There were cameras. And security came down. And I immediately was like, wait a second. Is this security? Or is this, you know... Satan. Satan quickly came to find that it was security. Thank God. They had already called the police. Yes. The police came arrested me. Put a blanket on you, probably. They brought the clothes that I had left, you know, in the hallway upstairs, gave them to me. But um, they put me in a cop car. And there, you know, and then it was a big apartment building, I, you know, I lived in. So I got a lot of attention. People started coming out. It was a big deal. Like, um, there were like 
three cop cars out there. And because there was this crazy, I probably appeared like a like total lunatic. And Pro- probably, probably. Right. And they put me in the back of the police car and I'm just screaming. I had been arrested a few times before, and there is nothing worse than coming down off of crystal meth while you're locked up in jail waiting to, like, go to court and be, you know, in front of the judge. Uh, Coming down, and especially in Atlanta jail, um, especially me in Atlanta jail, I just don't look like I belong there. Um, I stick out. And anyway, and uh, so, yeah, I got taken to jail in this beat-up tank top, these short shorts, these big black boots, Finally realizing, and then as you come down, you're finally realizing, oh, he wasn't there. But then the, the th- crazy thing is I kept feeling like he keeps letting me down. You mean like, Satan. Satan, he just keeps letting me down. Like I get so close, I get so close. And then that's why I want to use again because as soon as I like shoot up again, then it's like literally flicking a light switch. And then all of a sudden it's like, aha, like you're back. Now come find me. So it was, it was sick and twisted, but um, I couldn't stop. Just couldn't get enough of it. It's amazing. It's actually an amazing story. The Obama part was a letdown, but it gets to such a sad, dark place. And also, like, I think with this kind of stuff, there is no way to explain it. You know what I mean? Like, it turns something on in you that you, you, you still can't really comprehend. Right. You know what I mean? Like, can you? Like, what was the draw? Like, what was really the draw of potentially... Being with Satan, so I can tell you. You know, I, I, today I know. You know, I grew up as a you know as a gay kid on Long Island, afraid to tell anybody. Right in an amazing family. I mean, the, my family was amazing. It has nothing to do with my my drug. You don't use. have to, you don't have to defend your family right yeah, now, just because they're listening to this you know, terrible very, story about very religious. Yes, and so you know, like we grew up Catholic, and like you have Jesus Christ, and I went to religion class, and in the in the um, the religion books, like you'd see him on the cross on one page, and then on the next page you'd see like this fiery illustration of hell with Satan there. And so, you know, you get the messaging back then that, you know, being gay is bad. So And being on meth is bad. And being on meth so is you bad. Exp- so you had the double whammy and you expected Satan to appear. So it I was- never really made friends. That was the whole point. I was afraid to be myself. So I was, as I got older and older, I really felt alone. And I felt, I would see everybody out there making these friends and all of these gay people out there, you know, having this life that I wanted for myself. Right. And I felt like I just didn't belong but if I had hooked up with like a power that was so greater than myself that's funny that was magical and dark it would get me everything I wanted I'd get the body I want I'd get the job that I want I'd get the money that I'd want I'd get the friends that I'd want um, but what I came and not to now not to get too corny and I'm sure a lot of people listening will understand this but I realized this time around when I came back to get sober and into New York in 2009 I needed to get sober to find those things. I mean, I found the friends. I found the job. I got the money. I felt like myself again. I could be who I was. And they, people really liked me. Just, you know, like Sally Field said, like, you like me. You like me. That's how it felt for me when I came back to New York to get sober. Well, I think, um, I think that's a, it's a crazy story. And I think that it's true. You know what I mean? I think that uh, I didn't have, I mean, Jewish people, you know, the devil doesn't mean anything to Jewish people. No, not at all? No. There's no, there's no devil. I mean, unless I didn't, I didn't, I'm not really that Jewish either, but like I didn't ever had, I I had one experience was with a friend of mine who would talk about the devil. Like he, he, he grew up not Catholic, but he would talk about the devil and he was really obsessed with, uh, conspiracy theories and rock and roll mythology. Like when Robert Johnson made his deal with the devil at the crossroads or, 
or that Jimmy Page did, or that Whitney Houston was actually a satanic uh, uh, worshiper. No, she was a, a sacrifice oh, okay. to Satan. Was 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 you know this crazy fucking out there shit? Yeah, I ran into people like that. that you know that who were looking to sacrifice people and sacrifice things to get closer to, you know, whatever dark power there was, so that they could get those things that they really thought they desired. I was getting high and I was living on the Lower East Side, and I was talking a bunch to my friend, and I was I I I had a lot of ambition and I wanted a lot of stuff. And I had this moment, and I, I'm embarrassed to say this. Don't, right? Hey, I just humiliated yeah, myself. Okay, on it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna join you for a second. I had a moment where I, I believed that if I wanted to see the devil, I could have done it in that apartment, getting high on heroin. Uh, and I, I believed that if I had sat down and I really wanted the devil to come, I could have, I, he could have come. You know what I'm saying? I had that feeling, and it was. And my and my poor father listening to this, um, but and I also had the feeling that if I wanted him to come, he would have come, and he would have given me anything I wanted. That's you know absolutely what I'm talking. And, about. and I and I believed it, mm-hmm. but uh, I was too scared, yeah. and I didn't ask him to come. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just kept shooting dope and watching. Well, I think I, was, I think that was when Game of Thrones had started on TV. So rather than actually have the devil come, I just. Winter was coming instead. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm so I'm so glad you get it because you know I'll talk to you know look I've got a lot of friends who are getting sober off of crystal meth, but they, their story isn't as dark as mine, and they it didn't involve like devil worship. It's bizarre that I get it, and it's embarrassing that I get it, it because is, right? I'm not that type of person. You know, it just was this weird thing where my friend was talking to me about this kind of stuff, and it occurred to me that there was. I don't know why, but it occurred to me there was another way to get what I wanted, you know, which is a fucking weird thought now. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I'm going to read another email. Uh, I don't know if I should read an email or play the voicemail, but I think we're just going to not play a voicemail this episode. That's fucking two episodes in a row without a voicemail. Oh, no. But it's almost three. You got to go. I'm going to read the email, and then we're going to go. Um and the devil, please stay away. Um, can I can I uh, can I tell you something I learned when I was studying Kabbalah? Really? Yes. I swear it'll take twenty seconds. Yes. So, so Satan, Satan. It's, it's, it's so there Satan. is Jewish Satan. Sure. So it's called Satan, and it translates into. I think that's tofu, <laughs> isn't it? It translates into the opponent. That the Satan, Satan, is your opponent. What right? is the tofu that called? Makes, that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I don't eat tofu. It's Satan. Is it really Satan? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think. So Dopey Nation, if you know what this tofu thing is, and if you have a problem with all this devil talk, please send in an email to uh, dopeypodcast at gmail Excellent. So I learned in sobriety that Satan actually means the opponent, which makes a lot of sense, right? Like it's it's that darkness in your life fighting against you. How often are you up against the devil these days? Um, you know, the devil doesn't really play a big part in my life today. You know, I've worked through all that. Um, I, there's, uh, you know, Madonna has a song called The Devil, devil Wouldn't Recognize Me. And that's really the way I, I see it today. Like, I've worked so hard to get sober. Um, the devil wouldn't recognize me today. Did she play Borderline? <laughs> she didn't? No. That's bullshit, man. No, Did no. she play... Uh... Fucking uh, Lucky Star? No. What's the point of I, seeing Madonna and not hearing Borderline or Lucky Star? I think that's probably next because she's 61. She actually canceled this past Monday's show because she has a pretty serious knee injury. Can I just say something? Yeah. That's fucking bullshit. 
that's going to be the next tour. The next tour is going to be, uh, I don't want to say a greatest hits tour, but it's going to be what everybody wants to hear. Because let's face it, I don't know how much longer she's going to be touring. I can't even believe I said that, but I don't know how much longer she's going to tour. What? Did she play Like a Virgin? She did not. Are you fucking it's kidding me? Primarily centered around Madame X, her new project. That's um, fucking she bullshit. Did, she did Vogue. You know Vogue, right? I can live without Vogue. She did a snippet of Papa Don't Preach. How much? She, uh, just a snippet. And this time, instead of saying, um, I'm keeping my baby, you know the song, I'm keeping my baby. So now she says, I'm not keeping my baby and tries to make a statement that, you know, about uh, women being able to like decide what they're going to do with their own bodies. Listen, speaking of making a deal with the devil, I'm sure Madonna is listening to the show. Madonna, you got to play fucking borderline. When I used to go to rehab and uh, when I'm, every time I'd ever be in rehab and we would travel in the bus... And, uh, you know, the, the whatever, the vehicle that gets you from the, the rehab, whatever, yeah. Right. And they would play, you know, they play the radio and, and Borderline would come on and I would, I would just be this loud mouth and I would be singing Borderline and I'd always sing it to the girls and I'd be like, this is your theme song because they're all Borderline. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I love that. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm going to read this email and we're going to be done. Uh, I didn't talk about half this stuff because of the fucking devil made me do it. Um, Interestingly enough, people are showing up in New York for DopeyCon now. A bunch of people went down to Katz's to meet Ishmael, and pictures are coming in. So it's oh, wow. Really? Very exciting. Matt Weidemeyer Carroll is a big Dopey fan. Uh, look, all these fucking dopes are showing up with pictures at Katz's. Crazy. Um Look at that. Look at these dopes Hold at Katz's. So that's kind of scary. DopeyCon is among us. The dopes are at Katz's. Dopey Nation has made it to New York. I'm very, I'm very touched. I can't wait to meet the part of the Dopey Nation tomorrow. It's going to be wild. So let's just be done. I'm not going to read an email. You got a fucking therapy, coaching, whatever you do. I do. Can I promote one thing? Sure. Okay, really quick. So on October 31st, Mountainside Chelsea is uh, hosting a Halloween party for young people in New York City in recovery. That's why I wanted to really get this out there. Um, There is an organization called Big Vision, and um, if you don't know it, look it up. It was started by a mom who, uh, her name is Eve Goldberg, and I know her pretty well. She was at our open house last week, but I think you should have her on your show. She's got incredible stories. She's an advocate and passionate about recovery. Sure. Big Vision is um, start, was started by Eve Goldberg. She's a mom whose son tragically died of heroin overdose, and she really speaks passionately about um, addiction and recovery and has worked hard over the years to really um, make this organization, Big Vision, um, the best organization in New York City for young adults to spend time with other adults, young other young adults in recovery, especially those who don't you know go to twelve step meetings. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to get her name out there. I think she's somebody that uh, you would love talking to, and I know the Eve that I know would love to come on here and talk to you. All right, cool. Well, so she actually look, might be there tomorrow night. You know, October thirty first is also Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys' birthday. I did not know that. Well, it's true. Anyway, so yeah, Big Vision, Mountainside, October 31st, and um, DopeyCon is tomorrow. Tomorrow. You guys, I think I'll probably release it early because I can't handle not releasing it early, but let's thank fucking Jack Osborne and uh, thank Bill Blaber with his crazy The Devil Made Me Do It story. What a crazy story. What a very dark road to DopeyCon story that is. This has been great, Dave. Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure, Poe. It's always a pleasure. Uh, 
Seriously. Uh, stay yeah. strong, Dopey Nation, and, uh, and fucking toodles for Chris. And I know he would have loved uh, to be here at DopeyCon tomorrow. So makes me sad. Um, but you got to go. So uh, have a good one. Talk Thanks, soon. Dave. Goodbye. Thank you, Bill. Bye. It's so crazy to me how this goes, you know, like um, there's something beautiful about people who are gone that get to live on through the show, but it's also just incredibly sad. And I am ridiculously grateful to have the ability to play this memory and to remember sitting with Bill. And it makes me regret not having Bill back that many times. We only had him on a few times. Um, we were in a lot of transition and I, he just, our schedules didn't line up, whatever. And we, we didn't have him back nearly enough. So rest in peace, Bill. It's just so much stuff in there, like the DopeyCon stuff, Matt Wiedemeyer, Carol, the Chris stuff, and the, and the fact that Bill had such a, a powerful recovery story and how many people he's helped. So I want to thank Bill. I want to thank Margaret Cho. I want to thank Dopey Drez, Amy Dresner, Suki. Did I play Suki? I think I'll play Suki now. I think I forgot to play Suki. Uh, Edward, Nicole... Ben Croxton. I mean, there's so much in there. So much in there. Thank you, everybody. Huge gratitude to Claire. Huge gratitude to Aviza, who's recently been stepping up. If you're interested in interning, send an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. If you're interested, if I owe you anything, remind me and I'll send it out. Thank you, everybody, for being a part of our community. It means a lot to me. couple more Thanksgiving messages before we go. Dopey Nation, it's Dr. Harrison here. So glad to be reconnected to y'all. Just wanted to hop on with my new little baby cat, Icy, and say happy Thanksgiving. This is a time for gratitude, and I am grateful for each and every one of you, the journey you've been on, the jokes that you tell, the lives that you touch. Bye. Hey, what's up, Dave? Dopey Podcast, this is your old buddy, Chris Paulson, yeah, just, uh, tis the season, and, uh, felt compelled to share that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm filled with a lot of gratitude, you know, I'm grateful for my recovery, sobriety, abstinence, whatever you want to call it, because it's afforded me a life I didn't even know that I wanted, and, I'm grateful for people like you and people that have come before me to show me what it is or what it means to be a decent person and not a pariah. And I'm grateful for, you know, my family, my ability to be there for others, something I learned through this process, so... Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, Dopey Nation. This is Suki in the San Francisco Bay Area. Happy Thanksgiving. I am super grateful for my recovery and for my relationship with my family that I have today. I am also so, so grateful for Dopey. The Dopey Podcast, the Dopey Nation, and you, Dave. I love you all. What a great freaking community this is. Keep doing what you're doing. Toodles. 
Thank you, Dr. Harrison. Thank you, Suki Jones. Thank you, Chris Paulson. Thank you, everyone who contributed to the show. At the front of the show, of course, was David Masculoni from Australia. And um, all right, what are we going to say? Just don't be a stranger. Send in emails. Send in voicemails. Help keep dopey dopey. Oh, geez, I almost forgot. The final voicemail from Super Dope out in the wilderness. I don't know where she is. It's Sally. Thank you, Sally. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. And I think Sally really encapsulates what a Dopey Thanksgiving is all about. So let's take it away, Sally, and then the great Jake from West Virginia. Hey, Dopey Nation. It's Sally. Uh, Just wishing a big, fat, juicy, happy Thanksgiving to all my brothers and sisters in and out of recovery. Wishing you love, joy, gratitude, and fucking toodles. Stay strong. Peace. What's up, Dave and Chris? My name's Jake. I'm 25 years old from West Virginia. I just found Dopey about two weeks ago, and it's my favorite podcast of all time. Y'all are hilarious, and it's just gotten me through some really hard times. And Though I'm not clean myself, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, I really like Dave's song, and I'm going to do a little cover of it here on my banjo. Hope y'all don't mind too much. I wrote a uh, third verse myself. Sorry about the poor quality. It's just on my phone. And, uh, sorry about the banjos. Things hard to keep in tune.
hope y'all hear this. Makes it through the uh, big inbox of emails. Feel free to play a clip on the show if you want. I, if not, I know it kind of sucks. Alright, I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all.